BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Speedball Mike Bailey. You're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yush. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Burial the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chill and let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping a strong style the ace of podcast on the social suplex podcast network Jeremy Dalvin here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll discuss the road to wrestling Dontaku and cover all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details young boy how you doing man uh feeling a little under the weather to be honest but uh i don't want to supercharge this show with too much negativity so let's keep it on a positive note you know what i'm saying (laughs) yeah we we don't want uh any whining or or complaining on this episode (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, not not feeling a hundred percent, but uh, you know, an eighty percent young boy has the power of, you know, five men, five podcasters that are at a hundred percent. I agree with that. So, ready to uh, talk about a, uh, you know, again keeping it positive, a bustling week of top end news as it pertains to Shinihan Prores. Yeah, you know, very just busy, uh, intense week. <laughs> the I don't know how I kept up with everything that was going on. I mean, just so much has been happening. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been nice to have a little bit of a reprieve, uh, kind of a little bit of a palate cleanser. Obviously, we just had a lot of switches and changes happening in New Japan, you know, with all the faction turnover and title changes and kind of just shakeups across the board. So just kind of having this week to a week and a half. And I mean, if you're like me and you didn't watch those U S shows two weeks, of, <laughs> you know, of, of, um, rela- of R and R, um, you know, kind of gets us ready to jump on the road to Don Taku. Yeah. Before we uh, talk about the road to Don Taku, let's talk about Mercedes Monet. Let's not. Let's move on. <laughs> road to Don Taku. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm just playing. So yeah, so uh, Mercedes Monet this past weekend, yesterday, uh, she lost the IWGP Women's Championship to Mayu Iwatani at Stardom's All Star Grand Queendom event in Yokohama. Josh, did you check out this match? To me. What? You know, Mercedes comes in as a foreign champion and the the top star of stardom on the biggest show of the year in Japan happens to beat her. You know, that just, I don't know, it sounds suspect to me. <laughs> something doesn't sound right there. It sounds like something was not on the up and up, if you know what I'm saying. Sounds like somebody was worked. The fix was it, is what I'm saying. <laughs> she got bamboozled. <laughs> Something happened, and it was not right. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> um, and, and I know the crew agrees with me. <laughs> uh, did you see the, the matchup with uh, Mayu and Monet? I did. I did. And um, all joking aside, I thought this match was pretty phenomenal um, on a show that I did not watch, admittedly. Um, I would like to get around to it. Looking at some of the scorecards for uh, this is what Dream Queendom is the name of the show. Uh, All-Star Grand Queendom. All-Star Grand Queendom. Nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do think that this is usually like one of their bigger shows, or I don't know if it's an annual event or not, but I know that it was very hyped and they had a, an incredible turnout. Um, and looking at the scores top to bottom, it looked like it was a pretty newsworthy show with a lot of really great matches. Um, this one obviously was the semi main event and um went a little shorter than i was anticipating like sub 16 minutes that was um kind of welcome but also surprising but the match itself was very 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 good i i really enjoyed it and um you know uh mercedes i always want to call her sasha like i and it, it's not because uh, it's not a disrespectful thing it's because i've known her as sasha banks for so many years it's really hard <laughs> to switch over, but um, Mercedes, it continues to build upon her, you know, 
illustrious uh, resume of, of great matches and everything that she's done post WWE over in this run has been really phenomenal um, as far as in-ring work goes. And this was another testament to that. And, um, you know, I guess it's not that surprising because she was in there with Mayu Iwatani and, uh, you know, two of the best female wrestlers of a generation in a dream match delivered on a big stage. Who who would have thought, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I also did check this match out. Yeah, very good matchup. Like you, I was surprised that, yeah, it was like, I think like 13 uh, minutes long. I thought they would have gotten a little bit more time. Um, but for what they, the time they had, it was a great matchup. Uh, I mean, um, Mercedes out there, she was taking those bumps, man. She took that dragon suplex a couple times and uh, was really out there and it's kind of showing that she can hang uh, with the top of stardom and she's, you know, acclimating herself to the style her entrance was awesome came out uh with the the black tiger mask uh get up as a tribute to one of her favorite wrestlers eddie guerrero yeah well you know i agree with chavo we're tired of people bastardizing (laughs) eddie guerrero's legacy so her and ray need to hit the bricks you know yeah you know everybody three amigos are banned frog splashes banned shimmying Ban, no more cosplay. Don't fucking throw a chair at somebody after hitting it on the ground and then laying yourself out. Don't do that shit, okay? <laughs> also, I mean, uh, since we're on the topic, it's not like I haven't ever seen Chavo get, you know, the Eddie chant going at every show that he's ever worked on for all of time since Eddie's passing. I mean, it's not like that's never happened, you know? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> But anyways, I digress. Um, no, the match was really great. I, I agree. I think Sasha showed that she, Mercedes showed that she's able to uh, work the style. I think that had this been given a little bit more time to kind of like simmer, um, we might have been talking about her best outing so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it quite got to the level of the other two matches that she's had working for Bushi Road, but uh, it, I think it was on pace to do that. And for the time that they were allotted, they maximized their minute, their minutes. Um, there was a lot of really cool inventive spots. I liked how much she's using the Meteora, and I know she always did that in WWE. Obviously, that's like one of her trademarks, but there were usually just a couple very uh, repetitive spots that she did involving the meteor in the corner or like off the top rope. And they were always very kind of, uh, I don't know what the word is, but like homogenized, like they were the same thing she did every single match. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It was like, you know, your 2k move set, you, you press the right. combo. She gets the meteor kind of cut and pace over and over. But in the last few matches, but this one specifically, she was busting it out in a lot of different ways that I've never seen her utilize it before. Reminded me in a lot of ways of the way Okada wrestles and the way he uses the drop kick throughout the match. Mm, yeah. And it's a continuing um, offensive move that he just works in all throughout the match. That's kind of what she's doing. So um, I definitely can tell she's like studying her tape. And then, um, you know, she didn't shy away from any of the, the hard hits. Not that Mayu is necessarily like a Bruiser Brody out there, but. Uh, or or even the hardest hitting Joshi in stardom, you know, I wouldn't say that necessarily, but she definitely can bring a level of aggressiveness that yeah. a lot of people have kind of wondered 
would uh, Mercedes be able to kind of dish that out and take it? And uh, in this match, she did. I mean, it was, again, I'm not saying this was like the most violent thing, but it was definitely levels above what she what we've seen her do in WWE and in NXT. So, um, oh, I did notice, though, I think they did botch her finish again. Um. Yeah, I think it was. A, it ended up like it looked fine, but I don't think it was it, exact. It looked fine, but she didn't because doesn't she hit a DDT into it? Right. Yeah, yeah. This one was more just like a pancake, like a flapjack. Right. And um, then they went into the spot where she kept trying to pin her off of her botched finish, and I feel like it was really good. And most people wouldn't notice. It probably would have been more effective if it had landed correctly. You know. Um, I feel like that's one of those things where maybe they need to work that out before they get in the ring. Uh, mm-hmm. cause that's twice now in Japan on a big stage where that finish hasn't worked, you know, the way she, she wanted it to. Yeah. I mean, unless it was modified so that with my, you getting her front of the ropes, like kind of protect the, the main finish. Possibly. Um, but I doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, then uh, she took, I don't really know Mayu's uh, full move set, but uh, you know, you could just tell that when she got her in that like trapping, bridging, you know, German suplex, that was probably lights out curtains wrap. Yeah. And it was, but it was still a little surprising as she beat her clean, you know, in under 14 minutes. And uh, I, I thought they put in a four star or a better effort, really good match. And um you know, kind of surprising considering um, we had heard that this was going to be her last contracted date on her deal. Um, speaking of Mercedes, and then the news started coming out later yesterday that, or prior to the show, that she um, had signed an extension with Bougie Road and was expected to do more dates. Then and, and when that came out, it was like, oh, but they still had her drop the title, but she's still doing dates. And then they made the announcement that she's working resurgence. So uh, that's really cool. And then, I don't know, Sean Ross Sapp today said that people in her camp are saying she's a free agent. She's not signed. Very confusing, conflicting info. Not sure exactly what's going on. Yeah, I mean, sounds like somebody's getting worked one way or, or the other. I did listen to uh, the Pacific Rim podcast on F4W today. With Fumi Saito, who's good friends with uh, Rossi Ogawa, the booker of stardom. He was there live at the show, and he has a lot of great insights on what's happening in Japan. And according to Fumi, uh, Mercedes is, has a place that she's living in in Japan. She's constantly training at the dojo. She's learning Japanese. She's really immersing herself in the culture. So, it, I mean, it sounds like, you know, she's enjoying her run and wants to stay there longer. But like you mentioned we are kind of getting conflicting reports. So Sunday before uh, the show, Dave was reporting that, yes, they, they agreed to a contract extension, Bushi Road and mercedes Monet. Um, and like you mentioned, post-match and in her promo, she mentioned about her next stop is Resurgence, and then New Japan officially announced it um, on Twitter that she would be at the Resurgence show, which is happening on uh, Sunday, May 21st at the Walter Pyramid in Long Beach, California. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see whose reports are true, what lines up, and if they're able to keep, uh, Mercedes and use her going forward. I saw a, uh, post in one of the, um, wrestling groups uh, or adjacent wrestling groups. I'm not part of it, but I, it came across my, uh, my timeline or I don't know what the terms are. You know, I'm not tech savvy. Uh, newsfeed on Facebook. 
kind of it was like yeah somehow i saw it i don't know i just stumbled upon it but uh <laughs> <laughs> um yeah they were talking about the, the big gate that they did for the show and someone was like thank you sasha for the for the gate <laughs> <laughs> but they weren't joking like they were dead ass about it and i was like mercedes Monet in no way was the reason that this show sold out like <laughs> right but what she did do was help generate uh us pay-per-view buys it's being reported that this there's like five times the normal amount of western wow. pay-per-view buys for this show yeah i don't say that to even besmirch her it's just the fact it's like yo i mean you could even just tell watching the match because keep in mind um at this point mercedes has done one match in america for new japan that's one whole totally different audience then she worked for new japan recently at the um what was that most recent show secure genesis yeah and that was a whole different audience and it took them a little bit of time to kind of like acclimate to her presence being on the show as well as the other joshis and kind of be accepting then She's working for stardom on this big show. And I'm sure there's some crossover and there's obviously there's going to be a, a level of, um, you know, uh, recognition. They understand she's from WWE and everything like that, but it's not like these people in this building were all watching Sakura Genesis or were in the building or were watching the show in, um, you know, California that she did. So it's like, she's worked three matches for three entirely, totally different crowds. And the first one was obviously very pro Sasha, but the second two both had to acclimate to her. Like she didn't get big pops when she came out. It wasn't the road warriors entering <laughs> the building. Um, but I felt like she did a good job winning over the audience and, and definitely doing a great job, like projecting herself as a star and emoting and, you know, getting uh, people to be interested throughout the match in her and to react Mm -hmm. where when she first came into both of those buildings, they weren't reacting to her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, during the match, they eventually they did get a big big CEO chance for her during the match, which was cool. Yeah, I noticed that, yeah. That was cool and, uh, and actually, that one even started a little low, and she was trying to, like, you know, kind of get them to, to go along with it. But it's just one of those things where it's, like, it's her first time in Japan. It's her first time working for both of these companies. So, no, she's not the reason that the show, like, <laughs> sold out because right. at this point she's essentially an attraction for them, like a, a high profile one nonetheless. But you're right. It definitely appeals to the Western audience and, and is probably getting more eyes and engagement on stardom and new Japan, which is exactly what the whole entire intention of this was from the get go. And it's, I think it's been pretty effective in certain respects. So um, yeah, I, I, and I would love to see, this continue if she is in fact resigning or extending because i mean that was the one thing um if you've listened in earlier weeks and i'd had some um criticisms the, the the main criticism was never about her as a star or her as a wrestler or even her being in japan working these shows i think most people that are fans are like yeah this is all great stuff the problem was the idea like she might just be doing three matches and then going back to WWE. What are we getting invested for? You know what I mean? Right. But if it's not a cup of coffee tour, and if it is something that could be, and I'm not saying a forever deal, but if it's going to have a little bit of juice to it, some legs underneath it that she can stand on and we can see her work other people and see her 
get more integrated into stardom because this past week, the the build that they did for this match with Mayu, like granted, I didn't think that the, the interaction they had with each other at stardom was the best. You know, the mic cut out. I didn't think when Mayu entered the ring, she necessarily looked like a star. Like she was kind of like dressed in street clothes. Like there, there was a kind of a lot going on there, but this week with the press conferences and the attack that happened last week and all the stuff that she's been promoting on social media, it's spoken a lot more to her commitment, at least to the program and to the match itself, which is what you want to see. And I'd like to see more of that going forward. And it seems like she is, and, you know, maybe we're all getting worked, you know, <laughs> but but that's fine, because if it means we're going to see more of her in stardom and see these girls get to work more with her as well, I think it's a win win across the board for everybody. Definitely. Yeah, I definitely have to give her, you know, shout out to her for being committed and using her platform to promote these angles and get the match over. You know, she's been teasing even starting her own faction in stardom with the uh, the Renegade Twins who are seen on AEW uh, Dark from here to, to there. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, can they strike a deal to keep her around more? Will she do more appearances? I know she also has her Hollywood career she's working on. Uh, I know she was recently on, on The Mandalorian, and she wants to do other stuff. Um, but, yeah, I definitely think they could utilize her to draw popularity, get that Western eye on the product, and get fans invested that way. And, again, with this big... U.S. show that's coming up from the Walter Pyramid. You know, we've, we've seen kind of the history of the Walter Pyramid shows. You know, when you had, like, uh, Golden Lovers versus Young Bucks and just kind of what those shows meant to New Japan's popularity in the West, I definitely think it's a great thing to have her on that show to capitalize on that. Uh, that's venue. an awesome building. And if uh, the last couple times they ran it, they didn't do so well um, in that building, which was uh, a damn shame. But, you know, if they're bringing her back, and they've already had a level of success with her as a major draw. And granted, you only get one chance to run somebody's first show to get that initial uh, interest. So it is going to be, you know, how people are always like, the real test is if they can do it the next time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from her, but it is going to be a little bit of, can they do it again? And um, I think I think this time it's not just all necessarily hey, it's just Sasha, I think they do need to find a compelling dance partner for her. But, I mean, hey, if I was living there and I found out she was wrestling Walter Pyramid, I'd buy the ticket. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I was looking at the the Young Bucks first Golden Lovers show, I think did a little bit over 4,200. Um, and the capacity, I think, is 5,000 without a stage set up. So um, yeah. if they can do that similar number again with her on the show, that would be great. Yeah, if they do like a 4,000... You know, like gate something like that, then that's going to be a very very successful show for them. And I mean, you know, I was listening to uh, Joe Lance on um, Wrestling Observer, not Wrestling Observer, on uh, Voice of Wrestling this past week, and he was talking about you know um, these past two shows that um, New Japan did for the Collision Tour, and he was like, you know, they did some pretty good numbers for attendance wise. And it, granted, I did knock them on some of the things that I'm not necessarily loving about the presentation, about the, uh, you know, the whole entire, what is their strategy long term as it pertains to the brand? You know what I mean? Right. But there's no denying that ultimately 
these two shows, even if I didn't think they were the sexiest on paper, they were a lot better looking than many of the strong weekly taping or monthly tapings they'd done in the past, which probably speaks to why the numbers are up. Plus, New Japan just seems to be in a healthier place overall right now coming out of the pandemic than they were a year or two ago. And, um, I mean, they did like around a 2,000 seat, you know, number for the uh, Philadelphia show. And, you know, the way he was putting it, he was like, they're, when AEW has a really bad dynamite, that's like around the number that they're doing. And, you know, that's a national company. It's number two company in North America. New Japan has little to no presence here. Like, obviously, there's awareness of the brand. It's in the zeitgeist, but they've got no TV presence. Like, they don't run real pay-per-views here. Yeah. The fact that they're able to do buildings like this at all is kind of astonishing. So if they go and they do Walter Pyramid and do another 4,000, I'm not saying we're back to where we were when the U.S. expansion first launched, but it's a really healthy sign. Yeah, and you know, speaking of their TV in the U.S., I've been seeing, when I'm at the gym, I've been seeing a lot of Access TV commercials where mm. they where they run down their lineup, and it's like the most weirdest thing. It's like all these like you know rock and roll shows, you know, all this like old stuff, all these classic rock and stuff, and then it's like Thursdays, Impact in New Japan, and then, <laughs> then tomorrow more classic rock. <laughs> it's just the weirdest thing. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, That's really funny. But like, um, yeah, I hope they do well there. I think it's gonna be interesting. And you know, I guess another talking point about this. They, so they did lift the belt off of her. They put it on Mayu. I think Mayu's a great choice for champion. She was obviously a contender and in the running for being the inaugural champion. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that this is going to present a little bit more of a stardom um, representation as it pertains to the IWGP title, you know, something we've mm-hmm. been wondering about. But I am wondering if she's going to come to the U.S. with the belt the way that um, Kyrie and, you know, Mercedes were kind of slotted to do. Yeah, I mean, Mayu's definitely had a presence here in the U.S. She used to work the the Ring of Honor, Woman of Honor division uh, frequently. and was kind of a, a staple of that division and, you know, was part of the big Super Card of Honor show. And uh, I think she has a nice little fan base here in the U.S., but we do know that there was reports that she did not want to initially win the title because she wanted more money if she was going to be doing more uh, dates on top of her Japan dates and going to the U.S. often, so... Maybe that that got worked out, or maybe not. Maybe the the titles can be focused in Japan. But you know, it was interesting that you know the last two uh, U.S. shows, that Philadelphia show and the D.C. show, there was no women's matches at all. And the whole you know thing we were hearing is like we we want women's matches on the U.S. shows. The whole right. the belt was created was to have you know women's matches featured on the U.S. shows, and there were none. Exactly. And I thought that that was, uh, we didn't talk about it last week, but I thought that was an interesting omission. And I mean, the the deal here is like Sasha is a big enough star, especially in the States where she doesn't necessarily even need a title. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, She's as big or bigger than any belt at this point, you know, just from a star power standpoint. So maybe their thinking is like, we can still bring Sasha to the States and then we don't need her to be champion and we can like just, you know, draw off of that. And maybe they're looking to potentially establish the IWGP women's title in some form or fashion in Japan using Mayu. You know what I mean? Right. And I don't know if they're going to do a rematch or something like that, but 
uh, or, or where this really is headed because uh, you kind of have to wonder what the, what the uh, plans for the future of both of these women and the title kind of are, because it's like, if Sasha's sticking around, she doesn't necessarily even need to just be limited to the IWGP women's title. She could hypothetically, you know, actually start working in stardom to a greater extent and be involved in, you know, other title programs, the white belt, red belt, that sort of thing. I don't know. Yeah. Or, or she can just kind of do like dream match programs with no title on the line. So you don't have to worry about the politics of putting a belt on her, getting the belt off of her. It's kind of doing some big dream matches in Japan, do some big matches in, in the U S to help draw for those shows. There's definitely a lot of ways they can utilize her. I, I was kind of hoping though, that she was going to deliver on some of the illusions that she made about like, going across the, you know, the borders and, you know, working Mexico and working the UK and doing all this other stuff and kind of turning that title into like a legitimate traveling world title. Mm -hmm. Obviously that hasn't, that didn't happen. She had two matches, (laughs) (laughs) but um, you know, I'd still like to see some of that stuff come to fruition as well. Yeah. I mean, it does seem she does have plans on traveling on Twitter. She's been asking, you know, who's the best, Woman wrestler in England Who's the best woman wrestler in Mexico So I think she does, she does want to travel But it's probably again politics Having that belt on her And when will they get the belt back And will New Japan sanction you know her wrestling You know somebody in Rev Pro And how that all works out who knows Yeah well I guess We will have to wait and see but uh, Yeah yeah, we had a few questions here uh, First Def Triangle 720 he said, should New Japan hire a outside team for their promoting in the U.S. for their shows? I guess my question to that is, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, I guess maybe is he talking about like advertising just to the general public to, to get awareness, to get people to come to the shows? Um, or just- so maybe like a PR group to find a way to, I don't know. Uh, advertise their presence or their shows or their, you know, pay-per-views to the Western audience, I guess. Yeah, I, I think they probably they probably needed that more when they were just doing the strong TV tapings because I feel like those were hard to get people to attend or people to know they were happening. I feel like with these more kind of monthly shows and ha- being featured with people like Mercedes and Okada and Will Ospreay, I think it is generating enough buzz to where they're doing a decent amount of uh, ticket sales or getting close to sellouts. I mean, yeah, if if the shows don't do so well moving forward, which so far they've been doing pretty great, um, then there might be something to that, you know. And I don't know. I don't know what they're they're. Uh, I mean, it's no secret. New Japan has never necessarily thrived when it comes to promoting in the States. Uh, It's kind of always felt a little bit like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks, essentially. Yeah. But they definitely have a few hub bases that they've kind of gone back and forth to over the years. And like Philly, New York, um, L.A., you know, all over. uh, What's it called? like California, then a couple other like spots. Those are like places that they're known to travel to. Um, The only market that I can think of where like they've consistently not done that well is like Texas and they keep going back there for whatever reason. (laughs) Yeah. Texas has been a hard market for them. 
but they they definitely have like these you know local markets that they've already sort of built a small niche and they do well when they go there and they're kind of like bigger metropolitan areas for the most part across the country and i think that that's a good tactic for them to take i mean if what we're talking about is they need to start moving into bigger buildings than you know like actual arenas or something like that like and we're talking low level arenas you know then yeah maybe they're should be an idea to work with somebody. I mean, me and Jeremy have actually, I guess I'm peeling back the curtain. Like there's a point where we were like, we should talk to new Japan when they come to Florida and try to finagle our way into a paycheck (laughs) to like promote their shit out here. But anytime you try to talk to the company, I mean, it kind of feels like, I don't know, you're talking to a, a bunch of different people and it's kind of disorderly and it's hard to know where to start yeah (laughs) who's going to be receptive to an idea but um they might want to consider that in the future but ultimately i think the biggest thing is they they don't have tv here right i mean you kind of need a tv presence yeah access tv is not cutting it right and it's but it's also it's like it's one of those things it's like putting one foot in front of the other like it's like the what came first the chicken or the egg you know right it's like yeah if they're gonna get tv now then they also have to worry about touring. And if they're going to worry about touring and expanding, they have to worry about TV. It's like, it's a whole big conundrum and, you know, getting the kind of deal that AEW got is like once in a lifetime. It's very hard for any other company to kind of work their way up to that kind of level. Right. I mean, we've seen companies come and go promotions that have been around forever who are struggle getting a TV deal. Um, so yeah, it's going to be hard for them. You know, like Japanese, wrestling company to get a prime time us tv slot so i think what they're doing for now is fine but yeah if they do want to get back to a point where they're selling out madison square garden or filling up you know some of these big 10,000 20,000 seat arenas and yeah definitely there's going to be there's going to be need to make a full court pr marketing blitz to to get people to these shows a hawaiian punch bv asks has your opinion of mercedes monet's promo skills changed when she's saying Mayu sucks. <laughs> um, here's the thing. I don't think that Mayu. Okay. I think Mercedes is a bad promo. Okay. Let me just put that out there. I, I do. That's not to say she's not charismatic or cool. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. she's got a presence about her. She's definitely got charisma. So it's not for the lack of like personality. That's all there. It's just stringing the words together in a cohesive way, you know, mm-hmm. but that can be taught. The The stuff she has can't necessarily just be taught, you know, the, the, the star presence and, and all that. She's got that in spades, but she does need to work with somebody on, on her promo cutting. Like there's, it's not a secret at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think, I'll see when you're in that WWE environment, you're getting a scripted promo. I thought her promos were, were fine in NXT and WWE. Um, but yeah, since, you know, leaving there, coming to New Japan and stardom, it's definitely, I think, been uh, kind of a challenge to kind of adapt to to that style of promo. Uh, but it was fine. And the Mayu Sucks uh, song, I thought it was pretty funny during the press yeah. conference. And then she sang it in the middle of the match, too. I think the other thing, too, is just kind of find, figuring out that since you're not in that machine, you can kind of stretch your wings a little bit and sort of 
figuring out that you can be whatever you want to be, however you want to be, and kind of enjoying that freedom. I mean, that's something that like Chris Jericho talked about when he left and he was like, oh my God, I can do anything I want. Right. He's like, yeah, who do I talk to about my match? I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? Who do you t- There's no agents. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and she's kind of gone on record since then and talked about how she's enjoying that aspect of her work as well. So I think it's going to allow her to kind of like spread her wings a little bit and kind of even just grow as a performer and as a talker and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, then MJ does PR says, what is Mercedes getting up to at resurgence? Will she get a rematch? Will it be a singles or tag? That's interesting. I mean, I wouldn't do the rematch just yet. Um, I don't know that it, I don't think that match has as much cachet in North America as it did in um, Japan. You know, Mm -hmm. in fact, that was something I was thinking about during the match was like watching the match. I was like, wow, this is like a dream match and it's so cool. But obviously, like the Japanese audience wasn't the most receptive initially to Sasha. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about if they like, let's say if in an alternate timeline, let's say it was any of the other horse women that were put in the same position. I had to start thinking, would I rather see them do something like this in, say, North America with, like, WWE or, like, with, a say, like, a stardom? And I think oh, 10 times out of 10, I always want it to be in Japan. And here's the reason why, and it's very simple. Because even though the production value and the star presence and big stage, it's all there as it pertains to, like, WWE, they never would present any of these big name Japanese women. And we've already seen it because they already do it with Asuka and Io <laughs> as it stands. Yeah. But they, they would never bring one of them over and initially present them as being on the same level as any of their stars. Whereas when those same girls come to Japan, not only are they presented as stars, but the homegrown talent is also presented that way. So you, you can actually enjoy the hypothetical nature of the match and it can actually live up to what it might have been, you know? Yeah. But it would never be that in WWE and in North America. And I, I don't know if Tony Khan would do that either really realistically based on his track record either. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know who you put her up against. I don't know if you find like a top independent woman. I don't really know. I guess like, I don't know. Like Masha Slamovich or whoever's like the top woman right now on the indies. Um, or if yeah, you, you roll a dice and you do bring over a top star from Stardom. I know they they tease a, a Julia matchup potentially, but again, I think that would be bigger in Japan. So, um, I mean, I do I do think besides Kyrie, Mayu is probably the most recognizable name in North America. Um, that that match could get some buzz. Um, besides that, yeah, I'm not quite sure who you put her up against. Well, it's a little double edged as it stands when it comes to utilizing the joshis especially stardom women like for instance you mentioned that mayu has had a you know a history here and that that is true and diehard fans have seen her but she's never really gained like a, a, a foothold with any particular segment of the audience you know what i mean it's right. not like when she shows up on a card in north america ticket numbers like move immensely or anything like that um but at the same time, you might want to expose the audience 
to some of those women to kind of get them more familiar so that in the future, when you do want to run shows with them, they can hypothetically become attractions. But um, I'm wondering if it's the, you know, putting, putting those girls in a, you know, in, in the death spot match is the best way to do that. It might just be better to just run a stardom show here. Mm. Yeah. So just get, you know, because if you put those girls in a, like, let's say who's, you you named her, so let's just say let you put one of those girls in a match with Masha Slamovich, right? And it's for New Japan, who doesn't really focus on women's wrestling, and it's like the fifth match of the night, so it's in the middle, and they get twelve minutes. That's not going to do anything, right? You know, except for just appease those people that are saying like we want a women's match on the show for equality or whatever. You know what I mean? That's right. all it's really doing. But they're not going to give them enough time to go out there and really show what they can do. Most people are not going to get invested that way. That might work better on like a, some of the smaller indies do a better job promoting the shit than like new Japan would. Like if, if that same match happened at like say beyond, mm-hmm. maybe not as many people see it, but it would get more buzz because they'd give them 30 minutes and they would plaster it all over social media. And then people that see it that are smart fans would share that and it would, it would blow up. But New Japan hasn't shown the propensity to be able to do something like that with any, and most other promoters haven't either. So I'm wondering if the best way to like get the stardom Joshi girls over in the States is just to run stardom here. Yeah, I mean, I remember going to that show in New York. I mean, that's how I got hooked for that standalone stardom show that they did there. And that was a great way to get introduced to all the wrestlers, see the style, different characters, see what the show is is all about and so um i know with covid it's been hard to get people over but now that you know travel restrictions are gone and boucher you know trying to get back on on finances i do think they should consider doing a a standalone stardom show uh, again here in the states well because it's like maybe maybe you do bring one of the bigger stars over to wrestle sasha at resurgence and just based off the fact that they're putting her Whoever it is, I you know, name a name, I don't know. Um, who like who would be a good person to bring over to fight Sasha from stardom? I don't know. Um wasn't it, like Yamashita their champion a couple champions back? Um why not okay, you can bring Shuri. Okay, yeah. You bring over Shuri, right? Most people don't know Shuri, but from just the fact that it's Shuri, big name from stardom versus, you know, Mercedes Monet, that might have enough cachet to get people interested and, and see the challenger as being equal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it is difficult because they haven't done very much to promote stardom in the West yet. So anybody that you put in, put in there with um, Mercedes is kind of an unknown commodity. I am wondering if you don't, try to run an angle between now and resurgence to hype up whatever the match is. They need to do something because they don't, again, there's no TV, so it's hard to get hype when you have to rely just on social media, uh, on, you know, tweet videos to get the angles over. Um, You know, they they did tease Okada and Mercedes teaming up at the last California show. Potentially, maybe you do a big mixed tag in Okada and Mercedes versus two people. I'm not sure who those two people would be, but you could potentially do that. That'd be a great way as like a a get by sort of thing. You know what I mean? 
Mm -hmm. uh, because then you can actually build off of that. There's ways to do a story if that's your goal off of that match to build something in the future. But even if you're not doing that, if you just need a buffer between whatever it is that stands next for her, and it works for Okada as well, but it's an attraction match because it's probably the first and maybe only time those two wrestlers would tag team together in a stardom, you know, or like in a star attraction sort of role. Mm -hmm. That would be really good. I don't know who you put against them necessarily, but I think that could really work. Yeah, I think that would and, be and then and then the challengers don't really matter that much. You could put like say, just throwing it out there, like I don't know, um, Tai Chi and somebody from Stardom. You know, one of the girls that he's close with, and then that's that's enough <laughs> because <laughs> the the deal is everyone's going to want to see uh, Mercedes and and Okada win, right? Regardless of who they're fighting, right? You could even do like yeah, Filthy Tom and Shuri, like they did at the historic crossover. Yeah, exactly. Something just like that. And that would work and that would draw. And yeah, I think that's a good idea. But um, I, I think that, like you mentioned, uh, they can do social media and hype video packages and press conferences and stuff like that. They've, there's also going to be shows between now and uh, Resurgence is coming up. May 21st. May 21st, right. So they've got a little bit under a month, but there's going to be shows for New Japan. There's going to be shows, you know, with stardom. And then there's other options out there, too. It doesn't have to just be one of them. They could reach out to, like, say, AEW. And I'm just kind of fantasy booking here, but, like, there's Impact. There's AEW. There's uh, just random independents that exist. And what if they wanted to do something where, you know, I don't know, Mercedes shows up or shows up in a video package for one of those companies and, um, you know, gets into it with one of the girls. Who knows? Like, there's a lot of different ways they could take this. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for our talk about uh, Mercedes Monet and what she has uh, coming up next. Uh, Let's transition over to the road to wrestling Don Taku. So we had the first televised road to show uh, yesterday, uh, Sunday, April 23rd from the Edeon Arena Osaka number 2 in Osaka, Japan. Uh, so the show opened up. We had Oleg Bolton in his uh, first official singles match, regular singles match, versus Ray Oiwa, and they went the 10-minute time limit draw. How do you think uh, Oleg Bolton looked in this matchup? A little green, but... All the makings of a star are there. Yeah. You know, I, I think he's a, I'll say this. I think he's more natural at this than for comparison, just, you know, sake. I think he's more accustomed and more natural at this than like, um, Kitamura was. Yeah. I think a lot, of, there's a lot of comparisons between Oleg and Kitamura because of their size, but I mean, Oleg's wrestling, you know, being a part of that, you know, team New Japan amateur team and training with Yuji Nagata, like his wrestling, his amateur wrestling is really, really good. And there were some like takedowns that looked really good and really snug. And just his like, just the way he moves around when he's grappling is really, really good. Yeah, I mean that that is something where um, a lot of shooters aren't always able to necessarily, especially when it comes to amateur wrestling. They're not always able to make that transition, but when they can, 
one thing that a lot of them bring to the table is that athletic movement, you know, that kind of lateral movement, low mm-hmm. center of gravity, that kind of base and that explosion. And I think that's something that he has very similar to like, say, Brock Lesnar or Kurt Angle or like Chad Gable, any of those guys that you would kind of think of classically as like a, a really good legitimate shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he sort of has that as well. And, you know, it is very telling because this match ended with um, Oiwa holding on to a single crab and, uh, or um, I'm sorry, uh, Bolton having Oiwa in a single crab until Oiwa, you know, or actually, no, I'm sorry. I got that the opposite way, right? So it was um, Oiwa had Oleg in a single leg for a while, but he kept powering out and eventually escaped. And then towards the end of the time, going through the time limit, he got Oiwa in the single leg crab and Oiwa almost tapped within a 10 minute time expired. Right, exactly. So, I mean, it's very rare that they ever have a first time young lion get into an advantageous position like that. In, in their first match, like that's pretty rare, you yeah. know. I mean, this was basically one step away from them just having him go over. Like right. they were still trying to show a little bit of respect <laughs> to like Oiwa, but like they had Oleg Bolton on top in a in a advantageous submission position at the end of the ten minute mark. That's yeah, pretty rare. And he was able to display a lot of his awesome suplexes, like his belly to bellies and over under suplexes um, in the matchup, which were awesome. So yeah, he he's on the right track. Like you mentioned, he's still uh, green. It's all a lot for him to learn, and but I mean, it looks like he's learning fast in the dojo, and it's gonna be fun watching him grow over this year. So uh, following that, we had the House of Torture team of Dick Togo, Evil Show, and Yujiro Takahashi defeating the Chaos team of Hiroki Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi, who are teaming up with Yuto Nakashima. Yeah, I mean, um, six-man tag match, pretty much what you'd expect at the House of Torture. They attacked at the bell. Um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was your, your typical House of Torture-style matchup uh, towards the end. Uh, ref was extracted, which allowed Utro to hit a low blow to Uto, followed by the uh, Pimp Juice DDT, which got House of Torture the win here. Yeah, I mean, I thought Yuto Nakashima looked good down the stretch in the fired up, you know, young lion baby face role. And, um, you know, essentially once he was sort of isolated there and they're doing the ref distraction and he's in there with the veteran in Yujiro, you kind of know what's coming next. So um, nothing too crazy there, but, you know, House of Torture picks up the win. They cheat once again. One more for the bad guys. <laughs> Uh, and following that, we had the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare, Francesco Akira, and TJP defeating the Jet Setters of Kevin Knight and Kushida, who are teaming up with Hiroshi Tenzon. So this was building up the upcoming junior tag team title match with uh, Catch 2-2 Akira and TJP defending against the Jet Setters, Kevin Knight and Kushida. Yeah, um... Obviously, the the main storyline, again, is the Jet Setters challenging for the junior tag team title on the 27th uh, against TJP and uh, Akira. And I liked most of the interactions that they had with one another. Um, Very, very great stuff. Uh, Kevin Knight, again, I mean, it's kind of like 
you don't want to mention it because it's the one thing he's known for, but it's so impressive. You kind of have to always like, he's going to do it every match, but you also have to be like, yeah, he hit that incredible drop kick again. Yeah, dude, there was one where um, they were going for that. The whole the thing where um, Akira gets on TJP's shoulder and goes, take a picture, take a picture. And then Kevin Knight reversed <laughs> it and like dropped up into the drop, the drop kick to him off of TJP's shoulders. That was pretty cool. Yeah, they let uh, Kevin Knight kind of show some more of his personality and off offense. You know, he hit a running frog splash for near fall and a really cool looking stinger splash. So he's kind of like living my best life. That's all stuff <laughs> I wanted, you know, as a little kid that I wanted to be able to do. Yeah. But yeah, Kevin Knight has a ton of charisma, a ton of energy. And I think he's, you know, getting over with the Japanese crowd and they're oohing and on for all the cool, you know, athletic stuff he's doing. Yeah. Um, Tenzan came in and hit Mongolian chops on Akira, even though he's not supposed to be using Mongolian <laughs> chops, apparently. I don't know what the deal is. is it, doesn't he call him something different now? Yeah, they always call him something different, but he's doing the same move. Like, he's <laughs> literally, uh, like, he's a man with no honor, you know? He, <laughs> he, he placed a bet. He wagered his ability to utilize a maneuver. He lost fair and square, swore that he would never, ever use the move ever again and then the very next match started he using the movie again. <laughs> yeah he said uh never mind that <laughs> so you know if 10 I, I like i have less respect for tenzon than i do kijimuto because as it stands I, at least kijimuto hasn't returned to wrestling yet but tenzon yeah. he's a bitch bro <laughs> Well, uh, Tenzan, he got uh, locked in the Ultima here. Aaron Hanare's uh, full Nelson, and he submitted to Aaron Hanare. In the post-match, had a little uh, scuffle between the Jet Setters and Catch 2-2. Uh, I'm looking forward to that uh, tag team matchup. Then uh, following that, more United Empire in action. This time it was uh, Great Ocon, Jeff Cobb, and Aussie Open. And they defeated the TMDK team of Kosei Fujita. Mad Mikey Nichols, Shane Hayes, and Zach Sabre Jr., 13 minutes and 39 seconds. One thing I'll tell you right now, thank God for Kosei Fujita, because if not, this company would be in the pits right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Why you say that? <laughs> Too many white people in my Japanese pro wrestling, okay? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay? If I want to watch white people wrestle, I watch some North American wrestling, Okay. This is Puro Rezu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yes. Uh, oh, wait. Great Ocon was in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, in all in all seriousness, though, uh, United Empire and Team DK, I think that they are right now, aside from, you know, the current push that uh, Just Five Guys has gotten sort of out the gate um, throughout 2023, like, it's sort of been the year of United Empire and TMDK, and to kind of see them converge at this point in time is pretty cool. And there's sort of a lot going on there because, as we've mentioned before, like United Empire, when they have these multi-man tag team matches, they've got such good cohesion and match layout, and they're sort of just like firing on all cylinders. And then you can kind of say the same thing for the Mighty Don't Kneel. And both of these teams are very inventive and kind of, Going above and beyond, I think it's because they're both, you know, newer units and they've got a lot of young guys that are looking to make a name for themselves. So, um, yeah, it's been really good. Uh, I like the mentor apprentice storyline that's going on with Saber and Fujita, and that's sort of 
continued to play itself out throughout this match. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the the big storyline is um the Mighty Don't Neal's tag team, you know, Shane Hayes and Mikey Nichols kind of going after Aussie Open's um tag titles, double tag titles, hard to say right now, but they're, they're getting a shot at least one of the belts, maybe yeah. both, I don't know. Yeah, as of right now it's just a shot at the IWGP tag titles and then also Jeff Cobb is getting a shot at the NJPW World television title held by Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, so a lot going on in this match. Yeah, really fun uh, matchup here. A lot of great interactions of Aussie Open, TMDK. Uh, towards the end, it came down to Cobb and Fujita. And once again, like you mentioned, Zach kind of coaching Fujita has been great. Uh, Fujita did get an O'Connor roll on uh, Cobb for a great near fall. Uh, but eventually Cobb caught him with the tour of the islands, put him down one, two, three. United Empire gets the win. Uh, they're doing their post-match promo. You know, Aussie Open, like you mentioned, they're double champions. Great O'Conn, he's a champion of the British. And Jeff Cobb grabbed the ring bell to hold up because he didn't have a title yet. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like, liking the program, liking the feuds here with United Empire and TMDK. Very interesting, you know, two um, foreigner-led Actions, both kind of heel leaning tweeners, uh, but they gel really well together. And so, Aussie Open versus TMDK should be great, as well as Cobb versus Saber. Uh, so, following that, we had the Gorillas of Destiny team of Hikuleo, Jado, and Tama Tonga teaming up with Master Wato, and they defeated the Bullet Club team of David Finley, Gato. Kenta and Taiji Ishimori, 10 minutes and 47 seconds. Wondering if and when Tangaloa is returning. Yeah, it seems like he's been out for a very long time. I know he had to get, I think it was like torn ACL and MC. I don't know, there's a lot of things that were torn, I think, in his knee, but I think he already had surgery. He should have been recovered. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure what's going on with uh, Tangaloa. Hmm. But, uh, you know, this match started very heated, um, you know, as opposed to just getting jumped by the Bullet Club guys. I think, uh, you know, the, the Hontai group kind of expected it, especially since several of their members are former Bullet Clubs. So they all just went at it right from the get-go, run it. Um, great brawling back and forth from both teams. Um, Really liked what I saw out of Hikaleo in this match, just being a big man beating up little dudes. That's what I like to see out of my pro wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Athletic big guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also really enjoyed the interactions between Finley and Tamatanga. I thought they had a very good match against one another during the New Japan Cup, and they're kind of picking up right where they left off during that tournament. And obviously this time the never title is sort of on the line as well. And um, yeah, good stuff there. Uh, especially like when Tama went for a stun gun and Finley turned it into a really cool blue thunder bomb for near fall. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. And um, kind of also getting a chance to showcase some of like Finley's viciousness, uh, you know, kind of just way lasting Tama with his cross faces and that sort of thing. So Really like that too. Yeah, and they're also building up uh, Hikaleo challenging Kenta for the strong open weight championship. So they had some uh, interest, interesting interactions with those two as well. Um, Going to be an interesting challenge for uh, Hikaleo, but you know, 
I do feel like they've kind of dropped the ball with Hikaleo. You know, he had so much momentum um, beating Jay White and kicking Jay White out of Japan. I feel like they really should have capitalized on that more to get him into some more storylines and programs. Um, but they're kind of picking things up now here with him challenging Kenta. Yeah, and if AEW had uh, not dropped the ball in, you know, promoting Jay White in his initial <laughs> signing with the company, he'd feel like a bigger deal right now, too. <laughs> but, um, no, I, I totally agree. It's been kind of mind-boggling. You have a young guy like Hikaleo. You put him in this big program. Um, you know, it, it's the biggest test of his entire career. You, you kicked it off on January 6th, and then... You know, it finally culminated with him ousting Jay White from Japan or New Japan or however you want to, you know, it, it, you know, that is one thing we didn't talk about. They, I, I kind of feel like the Eddie Kingston win took a little, not completely everything, but a little bit off of Hikaleo's win. Right. Cause then it's like, oh, well, he could still show up just on these US shows. And so, well, it wasn't even just that. It's that like, the guy that beat him to kick him out of the company was Hikaleo. But then a week later, the guy that really beat him to kick him out of the company was Eddie Kingston, a guy who doesn't work in the company. And I guess I didn't think of it that way at the time, but now that I'm looking back at it, I'm like, that's kind of weird. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) regardless, the follow-up should have been, and we said this at the time, it should have been a birth into the new Japan cup, if not a buy in the first round, potentially. And, he wasn't in the tournament. He wasn't on the tour. We didn't see him for a while. And now he's back. And yes, he is challenging for a title. And I think he looks good, but all that momentum, like when 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 the irons, you know, they say you have to strike when the iron's hot. Well, it was hot for a minute there. It's kind of cooled down and yeah, trying to strike now. It's like you're not doing nothing. It was hot. What was that February <laughs> that match happened? Uh yeah, bro. Stuff takes too long in New Japan sometimes. And, yeah. <laughs> You know, how long has Hikaleo been in the, been with this company now? I mean, we're talking like 2018. Yeah, it, it's been a hot minute. And, you know, he has improved a lot. And I think he's shown that in the, the big opportunities he's gotten over the last couple of years. Um, So, yeah, I don't know what the deal is. I know there's, there's issues, I think, with guys in you know, spending time with family and not wanting to travel as much. Because um, even Tamla's not always on all the tours. Um, so maybe that was the situation here. I'm not sure. But if I was Gato, I would have had him in the New Japan Cup. Also, he wasn't going to win it. But you could still book him strong, get him maybe to the, the quarterfinals, and then just have him lose a very competitive match to a top star, and it wouldn't hurt him. Um, so, yeah, they definitely, I think, missed out on getting some juice out of that big J White win. Um, but they, could, they have a chance to kind of rehab a little bit here with the Kenta match. Bro. He started with this company in he started in the um, New Zealand dojo in 2016 and then transferred over as a young lion in 2017. But he was on the active roster as of late 2017. So basically, he's been working for this company as long as this show has existed. Right. That's six years. (laughs) Yeah. And we're just now here. We're just now getting to this point. Like. It just, you know, I, I hate to be critical, but it just feels like it's taking too long, you know. And um, they finally decided to do something with him, and then it kind of cooled him off. And now, you know, and I mean, Kenta himself is not a spring chicken necessarily um, either. I, 
beating him would be a great honor and everything, but I don't know how good that match is going to be in 2023, you know? Right, yeah, especially with the way uh, Kent has been working his matches lately. Yeah. Um, but at the end of this matchup, it was uh, who got the win here? I think it was Watto. Yeah, Watto, Watto put the Vendaval on um, Gato. Gato for the for the consolation tap out. <laughs> so yeah, so probably heating up Watto for uh, best of the Super Juniors, and so big win there for him and the team. And we'll build the Billows programs with uh, Tama and Finley and Kenta and Hikaleo. Listen, I get why Gato exists to be there. Like, he is sort of like the guy that helps him cheat, and he's, you know, there. I don't know what the technical term is, but he's sort of like the the GM of the Bullet Club or whatever, right? It's the, it's the bloody hands. <laughs> but you have to think to yourself, like, in a kayfabe, why do you keep letting him team with you guys? Why don't you <laughs> <laughs> always lose his funny, like... You know, tell because it makes more sense to me when it's a young guy. Like, for instance, Fujita, young up and comer guy. You know, he's he loses, but that's sort of expected. He hasn't reached his full potential, and you're like, we're we're buying in early because it's going to pay out later. But with Gato, he's old as fuck. Like, there's no (laughs) there's nowhere to go with this guy. (laughs) Why you keep Why you keep letting him wrestle the matches? He just makes you guys lose all the time. Like in this is like when when the four horsemen used to team with JJ Dillon. You're like they're gonna lose. It's JJ Dillon, right? Man can't wrestle. <laughs> yeah, you know this is not 1996. <laughs> this is not Michinoku Pro, bro. <laughs> oh man. So uh, following that, we had the never open weight six man champion strong style of El Desperado, Minoru Suzuki, and Renderita. They teamed up with Shota Umino and Tiger Mask to defeat the team of Kazuchika Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, Toriyano, Togi Makabe, and Tomioka Hanma, 12 minutes and 34 seconds. Um, pretty pretty standard match. I mean, honestly, um, the, the, the one thing that's kind of leading that led to this match is... Uh, this trio, the never six man title holders, strong styles, namely Renarita, kind of issuing an open challenge to Kazushko Okada and, you know, them kind of waiting to hear the response from him as to whether or not he would accept their challenge and who would be involved in a hypothetical team scenario with him. And that sort of led to this preview match. So kind of interesting because at this point, it's sort of like, Hantai versus Hantai, but strong styles like its own six, you know, three man unit. So we don't exactly know where they stand in all this, but, um, you know, very, very interesting. I thought the match was good though. Yeah. Fun matchup here. Um, so it's been made official that Tomohiro Ishii will be one of Okada's partners for the six man challenge and post match Okada asked Toriano to be the third man, but he said no <laughs> because he does not like wrestling Suzuki. He's scary. <laughs> He's scary, so he wants no part of that. Okada did tease, you know, maybe he should get goodbye and good night uh, to be his partner. Uh, Who's that? <laughs> Kenny Omega. <laughs> That's uh, not gonna happen. <laughs> he, we can't even get that dude to come back to defend the red belt. You think he's coming back for the never open like <laughs> six man tag team titles? Last time that you know the last time he held those belts was with the Young Bucks. He's not gonna come back to wrestle with Ishii and uh 
<laughs> and Okada for the Never titles. Yeah, I doubt that's happening. There's somebody else he teased too, but so yeah, so Okada is on the hunt for a third man uh, for the, the the matchup. I wouldn't be surprised because this is just New Japan style. I wouldn't be surprised if he asked Yano. Yano says no. He's, he teases like he's going to get another partner, and in the end, it just ends up being Yano. Yeah, I mean, and that, then Yano loses. Yeah, that could happen. <laughs> I think it was actually going to end up being Tanahashi, but with the rib, right. with the rib injury, uh, I don't know how long he's going to be out. Well, you know, that, that whole scenario just screams of the glory days of the Never Six Man titles when they were held by um, Ishii and... Goto and, and um, Yoshihashi and mm-hmm. they were having incredible ma- and actually that entire run was kicked off by an all chaos six man tag team title match with those three guys going against Okada and friends from chaos as well and that sort of like was the kicking off point for their legendary run with those titles so this might be real I mean it's, it's Okada and Ishii against the guys from strong style and whoever they end up putting in there. I don't really care who it is at this point could pretty much be anybody. Um, maybe it's Leo rush. Maybe it's yo, I don't know something like that, but it's probably going to rule. Yeah. It should be a really fun matchup here and kind of a cool little side quest uh, for Okada uh, before he gets back into the main event picture. I'll either have a well, quest- that, That's always the, the issue when it comes to him not having the title and then, you know, a lot of fans don't realize this, but New Japan does not typically do immediate return rematches for titles. Like when the champion drops it, very rarely, if ever, do they get an immediate title rematch. It's pretty, it just very rarely ever happens. So even if he is going to get another shot in the near future, like he, what is he going to do in the meantime? This is something kind of cool and inventive and sort of establishing that they can do in the meantime. Yeah. We have a question here from MJ Does PR. He says, Okada, tag team specialist, discuss. What is he bringing to the division? Well, you know, um, it kind of reminds me in a way of like Ric Flair. You know, a lot of people don't think of Ric Flair as like a classical, classically good tag team wrestler, you know, because he's known so much for being this perennial world you know traveling world champion all throughout the 80s and the early 90s but when you look at his catalog rick flair when he was called upon to be a tag team wrestler he was incredible as a tag team wrestler and i think okada is not far off from that honestly yeah i mean okada is incredible in general and just you know he has this pro wrestling thing down to a t um so yeah having him in these tag divisions and this this kind of quest he wants to be you know, IWGP tag champs with Tanahashi, and now he's going after the, the Never Six Man titles. Um, so again, it freshens up those scenes, and I think once you have a star as big as Okada, you know, the the face of the company, challenging for tag titles and challenging for the Never Six Man titles, it elevates those titles and makes those uh, scenes important. One of the only things that I really regret about the way New Japan works is the fact that their World Tag League is just before um, Wrestle Kingdom, mm, you know? Yeah. Because it sort at that point, anyone that's involved in a major title feud can't really be in the tournament or like in years past when they were included, it was like 
a dead giveaway that they're not going to win because it's like, Okada, you know, Okada's not going to win World Tag League. He's got a date with Tanahashi on <laughs> January 4th. Right. Um, and then the other thing, too, is like when those guys were involved in the tournament, like the big stars, they weren't really going all out necessarily because they're about to destroy their bodies on the biggest show of the year on January 4th. So that was, you know, the other detrimental aspect of it. But in the past, like in the 80s, the World Tag League, it went through other names, was a really big tour and a really big deal. And that's why it was around Christmas time because it was like a holiday tradition. And some of the biggest matches in New Japan history occurred during World Tag League. And then you look at like the 90s with All Japan and their, you know, tag team carnival, like, or the I think it was called the Real Tag League, I forget, but some of the greatest matches that have ever happened in wrestling happened during those tournaments when the big stars were involved in them. Like I would love for like uh, Okada to be in the world tag league with somebody and like go out there and like fucking kill it. But it's just not going to happen the way that the schedule is set up, you know? Right. And even if he did be, even if he was a part of tag league, like it would be him teaming with like Yano and Yano eating the pins and it wouldn't be taken seriously. Right, but you know, my dream is like him and somebody like, like Tanahashi. Yeah, going in there. <laughs> like right. ideally, like him and Tanahashi being in the tournament together, or something like that. Or I don't know who could be under him that would like, maybe like him and Shota Umino. Yeah, that would be cool. Something yeah. like that, like a big, a big tag team. You know what I mean? Yeah, that'd be really cool. But I just don't see it happening. Like. I think the best thing you could hope for if you really want Okada to ever be involved in the tag divisions, it needs to be in the middle of the year, like before G1. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Narita got the win for his team here. He got a octopus stretch onto Hanuma. Hanuma tapped out and uh, continued to build a feud there for the never six-man titles. Then the main event of the show, we had the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu Takahashi, Shingo Takagi, and Tetsuya Naito defeating the Just Five Guys team of Doki, Sonata, Taichi, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. lot going on here because, you know, for Dantaku, we have a tentatively scheduled IWGP World Heavyweight title match between um, Hiromu and and newly crowned champion Sonata. But before that happens, Hiromu has to successfully defend his IWGP junior title against um, Kanemaru, who was also in this match. And then on top of all that, you've got special singles match kind of, uh, you know, scheduled on this tour between Naito and Doki, as well as a KOPW title match, uh, provisional title match <laughs> between Shingo Takagi and Taichi. So a lot of different kind of just story elements. Plus, this is the first time that a recently defected from LIJ Sonata has sort of come to face to face with the group as the, you know, sort of front man or leader of just five guys and the new newly crowned champion. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, he's got heat with all his old, all his old bandmates, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. He left that one band, started his own band. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, these guys have great chemistry, and we know LIJ multi-mans are always a lot of fun. So 
a lot of great interactions here. Also, I love the, the Shingo and um, Tai Chi uh, exchanges, a lot of big uh, strikes and heart in action from those guys. Uh, was surprised that uh, Bushi did not end up eating a pinfall here because he's the only guy that doesn't really have a, a program going on with uh, just five guys, but it was uh, Doki who got uh, pinned by Naito, which those guys are having a match coming up on uh, the Road 2 shows this week. So it was kind of weird that they had Naito uh, roll Doki up here. Just let you know. <laughs> Give you a preview of what's going to happen. Yeah, you know, sometimes they get too predictable. You know, it's like, oh, Doki's going to beat Tai Chi in several tag matches and then eat a pinfall. They're going to heat him up before he loses. Like, no, nah, we're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> it's Doki. He's going to lose. <laughs> um, then uh, post-match, Shingo got on the mic and announced the uh, the stipulation for the KOBW match, he challenged Tai Chi to another Takagi-style triad match, so similar to the one that he had with Aaron Hanare, but this time it's going to be um, a little bit different, um, and we'll get into the rules. Yeah, when we yeah get I saw the rules, and I was like, this is the same match, is it not? No, it's different, so this time... <laughs> you You still have to win in three ways, but you can use any... Five of the possible ways to win So you can either you can get a pinfall A submission, a stoppage A knockout, or a countout You have five options Whereas the Hanare match, you had to get A pinfall, submission, and knockout where you're But there's out. no DQ? Um, I don't know Sounds like there's no DQ Yeah Interesting, I mean, I think, you know That's the thing I um, If you really think about it, right That was the big flaw in the Hanare rules, because if you submit somebody or you pin them, right, then they can kind of continue. But if you knock them out, like legitimately knock them out, then the fight's over. Yeah. <laughs> um, unless, unless of course it was like the old school rules where it's like they're down for 10 and then you give them, you know, in between the matches, you give them like a, whatever rest period like they used to kind of do stuff like that in the territory days that give them like a 30 second or one minute rest or or whatever they could have done that but ultimately because new, we we already know new japan's not going to do that it kind of necessitated them having to do a pinfall and a submission first mm-hmm. and then having to go for a knockout as the final method of defeat in that match the one that he had with Hanari because again if you knock somebody out then how you know what then what happens like then, you, then, you, then you pin them after they're knocked out <laughs> and you put a, a chokehold on them <laughs> they I mean I would love that I would love <laughs> bro my my ideal scenario is somebody gets pinned and then submitted and the other guy just has to knock him out and they're literally like on their back leg and then out of nowhere they knock the dude out and then they choke him out, and then they pin him all, all at the like back in the back. same stanza, like right back to back to back, boom, boom, boom. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that'd be crazy. Like hit him with your finisher, and they're out, and they count the ten, and as soon as they count the ten, you put him in the fucking <laughs> choke him out. You know, you know what you do? You put him in the chokehold, and you get them to do the pin one, two, three, and then you keep holding the choke, and then you get them to tap. Like it all happens 
real quick. Like, it'd have to come, <laughs> but it'd have to be like a, a, a come from behind, like out of nowhere finish. Yeah, like a bay face. Like Shin goes down and he just like out of nowhere just like powers up and just does that crazy kind of finishing combo. I, I swear to God, this is the kind of finish that like John Moxley would like cream his pants for. <laughs> Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Well, that uh, wraps up the results from the April 23rd Road 2 show. Now we'll preview shows that we have coming up. Uh, before and, and, recording, and that was a real road to show, a road to show that was roading, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, we have another road to show coming up Thursday, April 27th, from the Hiroshima Sun Plaza. So, show open up will have uh, Aaron Hanare and Great Ocon taking on Oleg Bolton and Oscar Luibe. Then, uh, the chaos team of Hiroki Goto, Toriano Yo, and Yoshihashi will take on all, all of the House of Torture. Then we'll have the Bullet Club team, Dave Finley, Kenta, and Taiji Ishimori, taking on Hikaleo, Tamatanga, and Master Wato. Then we'll have United Empire team of Jeff Cobb and Aussie Open, taking on the TMDK team of Mikey Nichols, Shane Hayes, and Zack Sabre Jr. Then we'll have Okada and Tomohiro Ishii teaming up with Togi Makabe and Tomioka Hanuma to take on Strong Style and Shota Umino. Then we'll have Bushi and Shingo Takagi taking on Sonata and Taichi. And then after that, we will get the lineups for the best of the Super Junior 30 tournament, which will be coming up in May. And we have a question here from Punkster101. It says, Boss J lineup is expected on April 27th. Any surprises expected or anyone you particularly hope to see? Um... I feel like this is the same. We've had this question, and I would love to speculate wildly. Um, but I don't think we know. I mean, I, I think the best bets, and I'm hoping that we're thrown for a loop. I, I hope that we mm-hmm. see something that we're not expecting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was looking at the the lineup from last year to kind of see who would you know potentially still be in and who would be out. And I think that we might be potentially getting maybe five different people um, so if you look at last year in the A block, you had Hiromu, Taiji Shimori, Sho, Ace Austin, Yo, Clark Connors, Agsane, Francisco Akira, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Taguchi. From that block, like we haven't heard anything from Agsane in a while. He might not be in it this year. And... I was wondering about that, and I think he's too big for it, anyways. Moving forward, yeah. But it is weird because he was so over in Japan. Yeah. 
And then Ace Austin, I know also he's, he's still part of Bullet Club, but he's a tag champion in Impact right now, and so I don't know how the dates will work out with that. Maybe he can, he can make it, maybe he cannot. That's a well, if he's not coming over, then that also would mean Chris Bay would be unlikely as well, which would be unfortunate if that was the case for both guys. Yeah. Um, then in the B block, you have uh, Desperado, Fantasmo, Robbie Eagles, Wheeler Utah, Bushi, Teton, TJP, Lindemann, Mastrowato, and Doki. So uh, we know ELP, he's a heavyweight now, so he won't be in it. Wheeler Utah, he's in the middle of this uh, the, the elite um, Blackpool Combat Club storyline. Um, and then Lindemann potentially might not be in it. So we might get like four or five different people from last year. Well, some of the things that um, – is, is there – well, before we even speculate about outside people, are there any juniors that have been added to New Japan this year that weren't in it last year? The only person I can think of directly is Leo Rush. Yeah, Leo Rush would be the you know, top of mind. Um, pretty much every – I mean, Robbie Eagles was in it last year, right? Yes. Uh, so, I mean, almost everybody that's a junior last year is, is here again. From the regular roster. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Knight could be in it. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, those are things I was going to point out, and I think that's a great point. Like, I think you could definitely look at um, New Japan as a whole, so their expanded roster, meaning, like, the LA Dojo guys, some of the guys involved with Strong. Those might be possibilities. Aside from that, last year we had representation from CMLL. We had representation from AEW, from um, Impact, from um, Glate. Glate, and a couple other places. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see something akin to that, especially considering that they had the All-Star Junior Festival earlier this year. And that might have been a kind of quasi tryout for Best of the Super Juniors as well as they have a um, all-star junior festival coming up later in the year in America. And maybe they have intentions to utilize some of the guys that are planned for that show as well. So that that's the best thing I think I could say as far as speculation, like there's a precedent there. It was really shocking last year when they had so many guys from so many outside groups mm-hmm. this year. I'm not going to be so surprised by that. Yeah. I mean, the one guy that I really want in is speedball, Mike Bailey. I feel like he would absolutely kill it. Okay, well, let's do this. I mean, since we're kind of speculating, um, I think Speedball would be a great guy to get, and that would be really cool. I don't know. If, I don't know if it's likely. If you had to take a second pick from like Impact, who do you think is? Do you think that Speedball's realistic? And if if not, who would be the alternative from Impact? I, I do think Speedball is realistic. He doesn't have a championship right now. This is a short tour. I mean, this thing's going to be over in like two weeks. I think he can miss like two weeks. Well, Impact's usually pre-taped, so they probably already have like, you know, that month's taping or whatever already done. So he could be gone from the States for two weeks and probably wouldn't miss. Because a couple of the guys that I would have said would have been like the Bullet Club guys, and I don't think that they're, you know... If, if they've got the titles and everything like that, it might not be likely. Although I don't think that it's still an open and shut case that they can't be in it. Right. I mean, also, I mean, we've seen the the machine guns have been doing stuff. So maybe you, you get Shelly and Sabin as guys in a tournament. Or one or the other. That's definitely a possibility. I know that jo- or, uh, Jonathan Gresham is working for the company, but I don't 
I don't, I just get the feeling he wouldn't want to do another Super Junior tour. Right. I think he's trying to be like a main adventure world title kind of guy. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, I can't see anybody in the roster really that would make maybe, um, maybe Lindsay Dorado. Maybe, or maybe like an Allen Angels. I think those are possibilities. Yeah. Um, speaking of AEW, is there a realistic name in there that you could think of that they would be willing to part ways with for uh, Best of the Super Juniors? Yeah, I feel like it has to be yeah, somebody that's a little bit lower down on the car, kind of like how Wheeler was last year. Uh, I mean, there's... So at- Matt? <laughs> yeah, Matt Seidel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, just playing. I mean, Action Andretti um, is a guy that could possibly uh, send over. Uh, I would have said if he hadn't hurt his uh, leg at the ROH show, they could have done like Dante Martin. Yeah. Um, AR Fox, I think, is a guy they can send over. Um, yeah. If, if I was them, I would send a young guy. That's just my feeling on it. Yeah. And I, some of the guys that I would like to send are kind of bigger names. So, you know, they're not going to send like a Daniel Garcia or a Darby Allen or, you know, Sammy Guevara as much as I'd like to see those types of people involved. Same thing with like hook. Although I don't know if hook could hang, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I am wondering if they are going to send anybody over um, and what that might look like. In, In fact, you know what? I'm probably going to call it right now. I don't think AEW sends anybody over this tournament. Yeah, they probably not. I mean, there's also like Lee Johnson, uh, Lee Moriarty. Um, they I just, can't see. I can't see a, a big enough name that AEW would want them and want to put them over and give them wins. You know, and and kind of see that um, potential to utilize. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I do think we'll see Clark Connors again but this time do a lot better because he's probably gonna be aligned with bull club this time around yeah he should probably have a, a better tournament and like i mentioned yeah, kevin knight's another guy that can use uh mascot errata uh or uh metallic whatever he's being called now could potentially be in it possibly i mean but he's a guy that was working with new, new japan last year during the tournament they didn't bring him over for it i think there were some visa issues uh, with him at the time yeah um but aside from that, I think on the Japanese side, you know, New Japan has been working somewhat with Noah as well as All Japan and doing like a little bit of a talent exchange, letting some of their more senior roster members go over work for both those companies. I won't I wouldn't be surprised if you saw like someone from both of those groups work super juniors this year. Yeah. So um hoping we see some of the talent we saw on that all-star junior festival. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm pulling for Junior Hayato. Uh, I want a Moxa from. Uh, I would no- love to see a Moxa, especially since he just dropped a spoiler alert. He just dropped the uh, the GAC Junior title, so I think that it's a little bit more open for him to be involved. Yeah, maybe Ninja Mac. Oh yes, how can I forget? Yes, Ninja Mac. Always bet on Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy goes. How can I forget? <laughs> go Ninja. Go Ninja. Go. <laughs> Uh, so following that lineup announcement, we'll then get into the three big matches on this night. So first, we'll have a singles match with Tetsuya Naito versus Doki. Um, very much looking forward to this. I have no illusions that Doki stands a chance, but Doki always does the most that he possibly can to 
maximize the opportunities given to him. And he's going to go out there and he's going to bust his ass. And um, this is probably the most excited I've been for Tetsuya Naito singles match that didn't involve someone else on the top level in years. Yeah, it's a very fun, kind of random, interesting matchup. Also, it's, you know, a just five guys member, so that's kind of a red herring. They're probably building to Naito versus Sonata next after Don Taku. But yeah, this is a little fun, interesting program. Like you mentioned, Doki, super hard worker. He's not going back to those uh, dirty indies in Mexico. (laughs) He's going to go out here. You know, Naito will probably, maybe he won't work hard, but Doki is going to work super hard. He's going to be bumping like a maniac. He's going to be jumping all over the place. So this should end up being a really fun matchup. I can just imagine like Doki having like Naito in a headlock and being like, you ever wrestle on cardboard? (laughs) Did you ever wrestle on cardboard and dirt, bitch? (laughs) I did. I'm not going back. (laughs) Um, Over under 15 minutes. What do you say? Uh, I'll say I'll take the over. I'm going under on this one. I think this gets about 12 minutes, but uh, I think it's going to be fun while it lasts. Yeah. Then following that, we will have the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles on the line as the champions catch 2-2. Francisco Akira and TJP will defend against the Jet Setters, Kevin Knight and Kushida. Oh, Kushida, another guy who can be in Super Juniors this year. I would love if he actually shows up for the tournament. I mean... Bro, this is the first major match that Kushida has had in New Japan. Actually, in Japan. <laughs> since he returned to the company. when And that was like last year. Yeah. <laughs> this guy hasn't had a single major match in the company taking place domestically at all since he returned. He was supposed to. Then there was the... Uh, Foot, hoof, and mouth disease. <laughs> hand, foot, hand, foot, and mouth disease. <laughs> I think it was called the hoof disease or something. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's been doing his thing in the States, but this is his time to shine back in uh, Shinihan. So, you know, here we are. Um, and I, I'm very much looking forward to this. It's going to be very, very good. I think, and I could be wrong here, but I think Catch 2-2 is going to retain again. Yeah, I've been struggling back and forth on, on what's going to happen. Catch 2-2, they've had the titles for a while. It's been an excellent reign. You know, they, they have the goal of wanting to, you know, be the, the best junior tag team ever to, you know, out, you know, beat, you know, the Young Bucks and Rapungi Vice and Rapungi 3K and all those, you know, top junior teams. And they're kind of on well, that track. I got track. news for you. The, 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 the best junior team in New Japan history is Ghetto and Jado, so (laughs) fuck all that noise. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it'd be kind of surprising if they did put the belts on Kevin Knight and Kushida just because Kevin Knight is, you know, a younger guy. We haven't really seen them fully do anything with these LA Dojo guys or give them championships yet. So, I mean, it would definitely be cool if they did, but just... Kind of I mean, how many how many tag team matches have, have the Jet Setters had in Japan prior to this? I mean, not many. I mean, they right. they were they worked some of like the tag league tours, um, the junior tag league tour, and then that's right. Um, but then that was still so long ago compared to. I mean, that was like in December. Um, so. It's going to be interesting. Um, I mean, if and now I'm not against them 
switching the titles. They've had the titles on uh, Catch 2-2 for quite a while. They've had a really great title run. And if this is the time that they decide to switch them, um, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever, especially since be a great way to reestablish Kushida as a, as a primetime player in uh, New Japan, as well as really kind of getting the, um, you know, the rocket strapped to Kevin Knight and kind of similar to what they were attempting to do with Francesco Akira when he was first strapped up with the title. Yeah. Really give it, really give him a meaningful push, you know? Yeah. And I think if you do get the belt off a of catch 2 2, that opens up TJP and Akira to be challengers for Hiromu. That's true. But I'm kind of thinking of it the other way. I mean, uh, I guess that's kind of why one of my main reasons for why I'm not totally sure that the Jet Setters win here because Super Juniors is around the corner. Kushida is a guy that hasn't challenged in a long time, and I think that he should probably be a realistically viable contender to win the tournament if he is involved in it, and I think he will be. Mm-hmm. And if he's if he has the junior titles around his waist, I don't know if it's as likely. That's the one thing, though. You know, and let's not forget this because the junior division is a smaller, contained sort of micro division. You can be a junior tag team title holder and still challenge for the um, the junior belt. We've seen many people do that over the years, and right. Even- and then you kind of create a double program where you have Hiromu and Bushi challenge jet setters, and then. Exactly. So it's not like it's out of the question for um, Kushida to potentially win the the titles here and then maybe use that as a stepping stone to get to Kushida or to get to Hiromu or, you know, try to win the Super Juniors. But I just think it would be a little cleaner if he didn't have that around his waist. And if uh, Catch-2-2 kind of continues on as the champions, I think that they can probably establish some viable um contenders during super juniors with them in it mm-hmm. and this is a really good first opportunity for kevin knight to get a crack at the titles but i don't know if him and kushida have the kayfabe juice to be the guys that beat them like they don't have the experience behind them they don't have the win-loss record like it's it would it, it would be a pretty big upset even not even just from like a um you know from a booking standpoint standpoint but like in the actual kayfabe, it would be a huge upset. Yeah, and I think, too, like, logistically, we, we've seen these tiles being defended frequently, and Catch-2-2 have been in Japan regularly. We haven't seen Kevin Knight and Kushida in Japan regularly, so I would hate for them to win the belts, and then they're going kind of, active. Yeah. Just yeah. kind of be defending the titles in the States. Yeah, that's my that was my other concern as well, so I'm right there with you. Yeah, so with that, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to agree. I'm going to go with uh, Catch 2-2 retaining. Um, and then the main event will be for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title as Hiromu defends against Yoshinobu Kanemaru of just five guys. If Hiromu wins this match, he will then get to officially challenge Sonata at Wrestling Dantaku on May 3rd. Now, I know I, we said we we're going to keep everything peachy keen here and uh, be super positive this episode. But, uh, <laughs> I got to tell you, Jeremy, I, I'm a little critical of the way we arrived at this match. Not that it's happening. I'm glad the match is happening. But I got to tell you, if I had been booking, I wouldn't have said, okay, um, 
Sonata will allow you to challenge for the title, but only if you successfully defend your title first. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. What it should have been is I'll give you a title shot regardless, but you have to defend your title against Kanemaru because then it opens up the possibility that like Hiromu could lose the belt and then we still have the scheduled title defense regardless of the outcome of this match. Right. And, I mean, they have, they've they been promoting Sonata Hiromu's main event. That show's actually sold out. Um, so people, they're, they're expecting to see Sonata Hiromu. And I think we all know that Hiromu is going to win. That match is right. going to happen. But like you said, you add more drama to this match the way that you would book it because then it's like, all right, yeah. Whether or not Hiromu wins, you're going to get the Sonata match. And if he loses, I think people would actually be happy because that's more of a thing of him potentially going into that, that heavyweight division that everybody wants him to go to. Right. Um, and then it's like, all right, could he? Could he then he, we've, seen, we've seen Kanemaru pin him in the U.S., so he could do that same kind of roll-up win, and then Hiromu has to go in and challenge Sonata. Uh, but, yeah, here with the way it's been booked, it's kind of, you know, obvious that Hiromu's There's too win. much of a tell. Yeah. And the match is going to be really good. It's going to be probably borderline great, and we're all going to enjoy it. But this um, stipulation that's kind of tacked on at this point, like you have to kind of look past it because you're like, all right, if he successfully, (laughs) you know, they've already got them on all the posters. They already sold out the building. But, you know, if he doesn't beat Kanemaru, then uh, they have to find a replacement for Kushida or for, for, um, Hiromu, you know, at Dantaku. Like, that just doesn't hold water for me. So, right. Well, Sonata my- said in an interview if Kanemaru wins, it should be Kanemaru versus Sonata. Made of I agree. I agree. This is like that time when um, Desperado won the belts and then got a, a world title shot, like, a, a, like later that week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Out of nowhere. Um, but, yeah, the match is going to be really great. I mean, I don't have too much more to add. Uh, obviously, I think Hiromu is going to continue on, and he has to successfully win. And it, um, I like the idea that this is happening on a Road 2 show because, I mean, this is one of the most stacked Road 2 shows I've seen in years. We've got three major matches on it. Um, I guess this is pretty standard for the you know this time of year, like in April, they like to do that weird Road to Dantaku where there's like all these, like we're still getting Satsuma no Kuni, but remember we... Like in years past, we had like Don Taku this and Don Taku that. Like yeah. Weird, like one off shows. Like this year, they're still doing that, but they're just calling it Road to Don Taku. Yeah. But this is basically Hino Kuni. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hino, yeah. There's a, there's a bunch of yeah, those kind of random name ones. Uh, but yeah, it should be a fun main event. And yeah, Hiromu should get the win here. Uh, Hawaiian Punch BB. Hanamaru is going to show out too. Oh, yeah. I mean, this man's already got the new gear. <laughs> he, he's loving this new push. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hawaiian Punch VV asks, do you think Kanemaru will ever complete the trifecta of major junior heavyweight titles? Because he's definitely not winning this Thursday. I would say no, but stranger things have happened, so you just never know. Yeah, I mean, I would think the odds are against him, but I mean, with injuries and visa issues, there could be a, a situation where... You had, you had to put the belt on Kanemaru. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that thing takes us now to preview wrestling Satsuma no Kuni, 
which will be happening Saturday, April 29th from the Kagoshima Arena. Show open up, we'll have Bishamon taking on Oleg Bolton and Toriano. Then Oscar Lube and Chota Umino will take on Evil and Yujiro Takahashi. The Jet Setters and Hanma will take on Catch 2-2 and Aaron Hanare. Great Okan and Jeff Cobb will take on Kosei Fujita and Zack Sabre Jr. Kazuchika Okada, Ishii, Roy Oiwa, and Togi Makabe will take on Strong Style and Yuto Nakashima. Dave Finley, Gato, Kenta, and Taiji Ishimori will take on Hikaleo, Jado, Tamatanga, and Master Wato. Bushi, Hiromu, and Naito will take on Doki, Sonata, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Then the two big matchups first in the semi-main event will have the IWGP Tag Team Pals on the line. Aussie Open will defend against TMDK's Mikey Nichols and Shane Haste. I feel like it's probably a pretty rare occurrence where you have two fully Gaijin tag teams going up against one another for the IWGP title. I'm fairly con- excuse me, fairly confident that um this is probably the first time ever that there's been two all Aussie tag teams going up against <laughs> one another. Period. Like, well, other than the other times that they've wrestled, but especially for the IWGB title. So this is probably a pretty historic match in those respects. Um, you've got to imagine that these at this point, especially maybe not necessarily in the kayfabe of the Australian promotions per se, but from a international standpoint, these guys, this has to be the two most lauded and well-respected Australian tag teams of the last decade going against one another. And this is probably the biggest stage that this has ever happened for two teams of this nature. Um, so it's a pretty big match and two very, very talented teams that I'm a big fan of. So I'm very much looking forward to this match. Uh, I thought the match that they had during uh World Tag League was good, not as great as I was expecting, but you know, it was coming down the tail end of uh, World Tag League, so you know, you know how that goes. But um, I, I bet they have a really fantastic outing. That being said, I don't see Aussie Open dropping the belts in their first title defense, especially since they just you know became double champions and they seem to be kind of planting the seeds for a future FTR match. Right, yeah, I think uh, Aussie Open, you know, they're they're hot right now. They have a ton of momentum. Yeah, you mentioned they're they're now double champions. Um, so yeah, I could see this again yeah, being a great matchup, but Aussie Open uh, retaining and going into Forbidden Door as uh, IWGP Tag Champs to face off against the AEW Tag Champs in FTR. Then the uh, main event of the evening will be for the provisional KOPW twenty twenty three title as Shingo Takagi will defend against Taichi of just five guys and like we mentioned earlier this match will be competed under Takagi style triad rules um, so again five possible ways to score false in the match first wrestler to win by three of the ways will be the victor so you either have to get a pinfall submission stoppage knockout or count out you have to get three of the five in order to win the match and claim the provisional KOPW title. And I'm supposing a stoppage would be like anything other than a traditional 10 count count out where the referee or like maybe a doctor or something stops it. I don't know. I'm thinking like, you know, hammer and and, uh, the hammer elbows, hammer and anvil elbows and guys not responding and 
you just call it. Or maybe it's like when Martha Hart threw in the the towel on Brett. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, Miho Abe will return, throw a towel in for Tai Chi. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> Pull a Cody at Dominion. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I'm liking this match. You know, I, I I've seen some complaints online about this particular match. The fact that you know, again, we're getting Shingo again against Tai Chi again for KOPW, and they're I've seen people calling this the feud that will never end. Right. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, man, for me, this is like sushi. Like you give it to me once. I love it. You know, you give it to me the very next day. I could have it again later that day and I would love it a week later. That's fine. A month later. It doesn't matter. Like I'm always going to like sushi. It's like one of my favorite foods and Shingo and Tai Chi, two of the most underutilized um, talents on the, on the roster and guys that are just dynamite against one another. I love it. I love every time they wrestle each other. I'm glad that they're getting an opportunity to headline and showcase and be the main event once again. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but you know, fuck you, bro. Like, <laughs> well, I feel like that's like probably some of the casuals who are saying that. Cause it's been a while since they've wrestled. They've kind of kept them apart for a little bit. And Jingles had a few other defenses in between his last Tai Chi match. Their their last match against one another one on one was the um the J- just tap out show at Tai Chi Taka Despimania or whatever that was called um in like November right yeah it's like November December uh, end of the year they did have a lot of matches last year but like I don't care you know to me this is just one of those classic pairings like if you don't like it you, you better learn to lo- like live <laughs> with it because it's it's happening yeah I mean it's he, here. these guys are, are great rivals great chemistry like you mentioned hard hitting matchup and then I mean we, we saw the template with the t- uh, Takagi uh, triad rules with Hanare and that that got five and five and a quarter whatever got from Dave Meltzer like Tai Chi well, and these Ch- guys already got a five star match from Dave. Yeah, like Tai Chi and Chingo with these style rules, like I think they're gonna go all out. It's the main event. They're gonna kill it. It's gonna be another awesome matchup in their rivalry. And I can see Tai Chi. I think Tai Chi's gonna win. Yeah, bro. Gonna do the just five guys, man. They're, they're I think Tai Chi's gonna win it this time. Yeah. And like I don't normally root against Shingo. But when I do, it's for Tai Chi to beat him for the title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, Tai Chi's come up short well, pretty much every time. And um, they've had some really fantastic matches. Like, at this point, it's starting to feel like, you know, Dynamite Kid, he could never get that big win over Tiger Mask. And, like, he tried and tried and tried and yada yada. And he never, he never really did ever get a definitive win against Tiger Mask. And, um, had he stayed in the company, I think that was going to be the plan maybe, but it just never came to fruition. And it's starting to feel like that with these two guys, like is Tai Chi ever going to be able to win the big one against Shingo? And what's great about that is it's all for that really fugly light blue, <laughs> you know, terrible belt with the velcro on the back of it but it doesn't matter because it's about these two guys and and the pride that they have and everything that's on the line there and you know um tai chi proving all the doubters wrong once again and i I hope he wins this yeah i hope he wins too and you know that frees shingo up to go you know once again be in the world title picture or maybe challenge for the never title or potentially the u.s title in the future here's what i will say if it doesn't happen now then down the line, it needs to be Tai Chi. 
Like I, I, they can obviously they're, they're the bookers. They can do whatever they want. But to me, the most fulfilling and satisfying story is Taiji being the guy to finally defeat Shingo. And that's just so satisfying with the history that's been behind them. And it's one of those things where you have someone that's underneath Shingo beat him and it kind of pulls them up to his level a little bit, but then he, he's not like damaged by the loss because he's already beaten this guy so many times definitively. Right. (laughs) Eventually he's going to get one on him. Like, it's just, you know, that's just the odds. Like, of course that's going to happen. And now, like you said, he'll be freed up to kind of go off and do other things. And and I think the G one would be a great place for him to kind of rebuild. Yeah. And if, uh, Sonata, you know, makes it past Hiromu and then past potentially Naito, you could do Sonata versus Shingo. Well, you know, that would be him failing up, <laughs> which I guess is something they do do in this company from time to time. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if him be- losing to Tai Chi should be the best, especially since like Tai Chi is like the second in command or sort of like the mentor figure to Sonata. I don't know how, I don't know if that would get him. I don't know. I feel like that's a little bit too much of an overstep, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I just lost to the guy that you beat to kind of go on into this whole run and the guy that's underneath you, but uh, I want your belt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you know how they do it in New Japan? You, you just walk out. You just challenge. <laughs> I don't think I don't think this one would work, bro. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, wrestling. That's Suma Nukuni. So after that, there's going to be another Road 2 show on April 30th. Uh, we'll have Goto, Yo, Yoshihashi, and Oiwa against House of Torture, Jet Setters, and Yuto Nakashima versus Catch 2-2 and Great Okan. Uh, Aaron Hanare, Jeff Cobb, and Aussie Open against all of TMDK. Kenta and Taiji Ishimori versus Hikaleo and Jado. Master Wato and Tamatanga versus Dave Finley and Gato. Okada, Ishii, and Yano teaming up with Makabe and Hanuma to take on Strong Style, Oscar Lube, and Shoto Umino. And then the main event will be the eight-man tag elimination match with LIJ taking on just five guys. And then on May 1st, we got another Road 2 show from Beepo. And show open up with uh, Shoto Umino versus Oscar Lube. Then Goto, Toriano, Yo, and Yoshihashi versus House of Torture. Jet Setters versus and Oiwa versus Catch 2-2 and Hanare. Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, and Aussie Open versus TMDK. Um, Finley, Gato, Kenta, and Ishimori versus Hikaleo, Jado, Tamatanga, Master Wato. Okada, Ishii, Makabe, and Hanma versus Strong Style and Yuta Nakashima. Bushi and Shingo versus Doki and Taichi. And then the main event, Hiromu and Naito versus Sonata and Kanamaru, which will be a rematch from the Collision, Capital Collision. So yeah, so. yeah. Um, those two road two shows do not look as appealing as the other road two shows. Right, they are extremely similar. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump into the news. Um, so, a couple uh, bullet points here, according to Dave Meltzer in this week's Wrestling Observer newsletter, Trinity Fatu, formerly known as Naomi in WWE, is not in New Japan and Stardom yet due to pressure to keep spending down within Bushiroad's wrestling division. So. As it stands, it doesn't look like they have current plans to bring her in. That might change in the future. But, um, yeah. New Japan also claimed 40,000 new subscribers to New Japan World in January after the January 4th show that did the most live views. 
That's similar to the number of 42,000 plus in gains from the Omega and Chris Jericho match, uh, which would be the high point in the history of the service. So really great news and another key indicator on the business drivers from uh, both um, Mercedes Monet being brought into the company, as well as the big match between Kenny Omega and uh, Will Ospreay. Osprey also noted that his injuries are catching up with him in a video earlier uh, last week, and he has to modify his style uh, going forward. I think we made a little bit of mention of that on the show last week. Yeah. And then um, Osprey won the one PW championship in England on Friday. Who did he? Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe he. Uh, it was Bobby, him and Bobby Fish uh, in the main event, and he defeated Bobby Fish to win the one PW heavyweight championship. Okay. Well, you know how Osprey is. Like when he returns, he's going to be sporting that belt in Japan, and everyone's going to be like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> so that's gonna, uh, I guess, do it for the news. Yeah, kind of a light uh, news week. So we got a few uh, questions here. Uh, first from Redizer Ethic Dystopian: What are your thoughts on New Japan's current cross promotional relationships? Do you think they improve or harm the product? Hmm. Well, those are harsh terms. I mean, they're pretty extreme, you know, and very binary. And I don't know if it's as black and white and simple as, you know, improve slash harm. Um, I think that the product itself might not even necessarily be affected one way or the other by a lot of the relationships that they have ongoing, you know. Mm-hmm. Currently, New Japan's working with, you know, on a on a major level, They've got partnerships with CMLL. They've got partnerships with Impact. Stardom, obviously, is a sister promotion through Bushi Road, um, RevPro, as well as AEW. And those seem to be like their um, stronger partnerships, the ones that I would define as like, this is a clear-cut working relationship at this point. Yeah. Beyond that, they also have, you know, talent exchanges or excursions to, uh, you know, and different various things going on with a lot of the other domestic groups that are in the area. Um, Noah being one of the stronger ones, but then they, we've also seen interactions with all Japan all throughout last year. And this year, Glate is another one that there's been a lot of exchange and, and kind of crossover. Um, And then we've seen just kind of other one-off stuff going on and, yeah, so this is, pro- I mean, since we've been covering New Japan, this is the most um, that they've ever crossed over with this many promotions, especially the domestic ones, you know? Right, yeah, when Harold May was in charge, his whole thing was, yeah, we're not working for anybody, we're all strictly just doing New Japan. Well, I, you know, and they, you know, I, I understand that people like to push that on Harold May, but let's be honest here, that's been the case since Bushi Road took over the company and since Ghetto got the book. Um, aside from the one time that they were working with Noah in like 2015, when they had a, a a partial minority ownership stake in them, they, they never worked with anybody else domestically. Right. They they were an, they were, you know, an isolationist group essentially. And you know, that, that's been their standard for a long time now. That being said, um, I don't think that most of these relationships hurt them. You know, I, I know that there's some people that like to claim that they do. I don't think that's the case, but I don't know that many of these relationships elevate the product 
either. I think they're kind of just cool things that are beneficial to the wrestling industry and to the culture and also to their bottom line in various different ways, but don't necessarily cross over, you know, extensively into the main product and really don't have anything to do with what, if you're just tuning in for new Japan, you wouldn't even know what's going on most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think domestically their cross promotional stuff has really been helping elevate them because, you know, they're working with all these smaller companies. So obviously they come off as the, the top big promotion and their guys are the ones winning and looking really good. And like we've mentioned, you know, when they're setting off, you know, Yuji Nagata and Tiger Mask and all these kind of older stars are going to some of these small promotions and winning titles and being pushed really hard. I mean, that looks good for New Japan. And we see all these across promotion shows like Noah and all these shows where like New Japan, it's, you know, kind of getting the upper hand at the end and kind of really looking good. So I think domestically, like it, those uh, partnerships kind of do make New Japan look good and kind of position them as a, you know, a top leader um, in Japan. When it comes to the international partnerships, um, you look at the impact partnership, like I wouldn't say it's harming them, but it's not really doing anything. I mean, impacts kind of a, you know, very kind of bottom promotion here in America. Like I'm sorry for impact fans. We know people just don't really tune in to a bunch of people not watching impact. Um, so like that partnership is not really getting a ton of new eyes on new Japan. And it's not really helping them, their game in the West that much. And then you look at the partnership with AEW and we've talked about um, some of the, the stuff there where it's like, what is New Japan getting out of the AEW partnership? And yes, they're doing the cool Forbidden Door show. We see guys randomly show up on Dynamite. Sometimes guys will show up on the New Japan of America shows. But it does feel like, I'll see AEW is like the, you know, the big brother in that relationship or, you know, is the stronger hand. And New Japan doesn't really get a ton of, you know, a ton of, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but they don't really get a ton of buzz or anything after those partnerships over with AEW. Like, they're not getting, on on Dynamite, they're not saying, oh, you know, Wrestle Kingdom's coming up, you know, Osprey and Omega's going to happen. Go to njpwworld.com, subscribe. Like, AEW's not really pushing the New Japan product uh, when they're working together. So, um, again, it's not really harming them, but, again, what are they gaining out of these partnerships besides just cool matchups with the AEW side? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, that that partnership could be improved some, but overall, I think the, the cross promotional stuff is, is a benefit. Well, here's one thing I will say about that. I think that there are segments of the fan base that really are anti AEW. They're anti Western wrestling just in general, you know, they're very much like gatekeeperish, puro elitist sort of thing. Like they're the, they're the type of people that you go on the Reddit and I'm not, we don't do this, but because we're not fucking marks, but, uh, <laughs> you know, if someone posts uh, a thread about how they want to see Brian Danielson show up in the G1, they get like buried to shit and everyone, you know, calls them names. And it's, it is one of the, there was a time where one of the most, and it's still pretty much the case, but, you know, like for instance, the Reddit, uh, the New Japan page Reddit has to be one of the more positive, um, communities when it comes to just wrestling discussion as opposed to pretty much every other corner of the internet but 
the anti-AEW sentiment has kind of revealed this sort of festering negativity when it comes to the diehard New Japan fans. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's very much apparent. Anytime anything AEW related pops up, they're very much against it. They get super butthurt and angry and irrational. And the reality is this didn't exist for any of the other groups that New Japan does business with. They didn't care when, you know what I mean? Like, let's think about it. Like, how different is the AEW partnership from, like, what they've done in the past with CMLL or RevPro? Or even Ring of Honor, for that matter. It's not that different. You know right, what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and nobody really cared about the Ring of Honor thing. They thought it was cool and the, the War of the Worlds and Global Wars tour. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. And they're getting the same benefits and everything. It's, you know, and uh, could it be better? Absolutely. The one sticking point, and it's the one thing that we have been pretty critical of, and I think it's deserving of the criticism. Kenny Omega and the United States title. But that's not an AEW New Japan issue per se, although I'm sure that's a, a big part of it, like the politics involved. But, you know, it does suck. It sucks that they put the title on the guy and he hasn't come back with the belt the entire time to defend it. Not once, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. like, who knows by the time this is over, he might not actually come back to Japan and to defend the title at all by the, by the time it's all (laughs) said and done. And if he does, it's probably going to be like maybe Russell kingdom. It feels like at this point. So that does suck. To see another one of New Japan's top titles hijacked by a foreign performer, just like it was with John Moxley, just like it was with Chris Jericho, just like it, you know, just like the Never title was recently with Carl Anderson. It's like New Japan doesn't learn their lesson. They keep doing this again and again and again. And, and that sucks. Putting that aside, there's nothing to complain about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There really is nothing to complain about. The AEW partnership's not any different than what New Japan had in the 90s with WCW. Something you didn't hear about on the screen. It's something that... The, the, the other negative thing you could point to is that New Japan constantly promotes AEW. And AEW does little to nothing to promote New Japan in return. That is true. Yeah. But as, as far as harming the product, that's a step too far. Because nothing harmful is happening here. They don't do anything to harm them. Just like CML doesn't do anything to harm New Japan. Just like RevPro doesn't. These are all just talent exchanges. They're places for people to work and pick up reps and to get looks. And to, you know, uh, with the um, recent Ring of Honor expansion, Tony's kind of allowed some of New Japan's guys to get uh, work there, like Alex Coughlin and um, Katsuyoshi Shibaza title holder there. And, you know, they've had the New Japan... TV title defended. So there's some cool stuff that is occurring. And I just think that people should be a little more measured in the way they react to this stuff, because it's, let's have some perspective. How is what's going on with these companies any different from what new Japan's always done in the history of their company? It's, it's not any different. Nothing harmful is happening here. Right. Yeah. At the, at the worst, like, like you said, they're not getting promoted a ton, but Overall, like, I think everything is beneficial here, and the cross-motion does, at the end of the day, help New Japan internationally and domestically. Yeah, I mean, does it translate to you know tens of thousands of people switching over and getting New Japan World subscriptions, and is it 
you know, um, elevating their effort to potentially get a TV deal in North America. Like, no, none of that is happening. Yeah. But that's not really the point of these partnerships. They're just kind of like cool one-off things where guys will go over there, they'll do some spots, guys come over here and they tour and, you know, just different stuff like that. But like, we've gotten to see some pretty cool stuff. I mean, like Ishii and Chris Jericho on, on Dynamite happened. Yeah. <laughs> that was fucking cool. Yeah, that was dope. You know, um, like, let's not pretend that Forbidden Door wasn't one of the coolest pay-per-views in the history of wrestling. That happened. Yeah, they're you know? running it back. So, and, um, yeah, and I think the other partnerships that they have going, like, you know, if we applied the same logic to, like, the CMLL partnership, we're like, what the fuck? How does that even help them? <laughs> <laughs> what is Rocky working over there, working a program with Volador? How does that help New Japan? Right. You know, it's like, it doesn't necessarily, like, it, it's just, it's cool. It's happening, you know? Rocky's, you know, part of the office over there. He's getting to do some cool stuff. Volador's getting, there's crossover. This shit's cool. Let it play out. Oh, <laughs> uh, we had a similar question here from uh, the Dark Soldier. It says, New Japan has a stigma of mistreating or giving the short end of the stick to their partners. Do you think AEW mistreats New Japan the same way New Japan mistreats the other promotions? Well, you know, I have never heard on record that anybody in particular feels this way. Like, officially. You know, I've never heard of any talent from another from any other group or any sort of management from another group like let's just throw it out there i think what he's mainly talking about is like noah right yeah, that's yeah. the most recent thing that people are really butthurt about did we hear anything publicly about anybody from noah complaining about the way that the booking played out between their various crossover shows with new japan i haven't heard anything no and now could there be those feelings yeah but this is all just conjecture. It's coming from fans and it's right. mostly coming from fans of Noah. Well, I, I feel like at the end of the day, like Noah knows what's up, but like they know that they're partnering with the number one company in the country that, that they, they should be happy that they're getting that opportunity. And like just getting their guys in the ring with their guys is a big enough deal to elevate Noah. They're sharing gates on these big, you know, Russell kingdom in Yokohama shows like there get there's a lot of benefits that Noah is getting besides just a, a win over a new Japan guy. Right, exactly. I mean, okay. And I hate to do this and I know I've had people say I sound like a pro elitist when I say it, but it's the it's not a one for one, but it's the closest comparison. In Japan, New Japan is basically WWE. In Japan, Noah is essentially similar in stature and size and and business to impact if impact and wwe ran a program <laughs> it would be worse it would be way worse than what we have seen from the program between noah and new japan recently you know what i mean like, right new japan's been much more gracious in how they've done business and handled things with those companies now am i saying it's all been perfect or that I think it's all equitable and fair. Like, no, but you also have to put things into perspective. These are not similar companies on a similar footing to one another. It's, it's a massive company with a much more junior company working with them. 
And truth be told, they've been doing some pretty big favors for Noah from a business perspective because they just lost Muto and business has been going down. Maybe not for all the bigger, bigger shows, but even the big shows, the, the, the business is not there. Mm-hmm. And on the smaller shows, it's really not there. And the dirty little secret is you go through the history, you go through the numbers, you do your Google searches, the trends and everything. Almost at no point in the history of Noah have they ever been on equal footing level to uh, New Japan, even since its inception. And it's only the, the, the divide between them from a monetary and a cultural standpoint has just grown exponentially over the years to the point where we're here now. And I know that this sounds confusing because when you watch big Noah productions, they've got the best TV like presentation. They've got the best cameras and they do, they are a holding company or, you know, they're, they're an asset of um, cyber agent, which is a much bigger company than Bushi road. So I understand how that looks, but you know, think of it. Sinclair Media Group is a lot bigger than WWE, and they owned Ring of Honor, but no one was mistaking Ring of Honor for <laughs> right for, for WWE. So, putting all that aside, that's the first thing. Do I do I think New Japan has you know unfairly mistreated Noah? No, I don't. I think they've treated them the way that a bigger company would treat a company they're partnering with, <laughs> like like the size of Noah. I think that they've been pretty equitable, to be honest. Yeah. As far as the uh, AEW relationship, it, you know, they're, these are similar companies, but not the same. Like, there's no doubt about it. AEW is the number two company in the world right now, you know, with, with the revenue that they bring in from touring and from television and from pay-per-view, they're a much larger company already than New Japan is. So they're not on equal footing. They are the A side in the relationship. The difference, though, is that New Japan is a Japanese domestic product and AEW is a North American domestic product. And there is crossover where they both want to work in each other's markets. And so both of them have a little bit of leverage over one another. Plus, New Japan is a known commodity in North America. They have a reputation. They have a history with a lot of their workers there. So It's a much closer relationship in terms of size and stature than, say, New Japan working with any domestic group in Japan. Do I think that AEW has sometimes been inequitable? I do. But they're small, minor infractions. They're not things that I would necessarily say they should blow the deal up over. Right, yeah. I wouldn't label it as mistreating, but like we mentioned, like, I don't think it would kill AEW to mention like NJPW World on you know TBS, or if you have your top guy showing up on the biggest Japanese show of the year, maybe you just you know throw a little thing on there and say you know Kenny Omega's has a big matchup against Will Ospreay coming up. Like there's little stuff like that that they could they could do to kind of help New Japan out a little bit. They don't promote very much anything that's going on with new Japan. And I don't think they should, if it's not pertinent to their brand, but when FTR were going to Japan and defending the titles that should have been mentioned and should have been showcased. 
um, especially since they were like the triple champions around that same period of time. Same thing with Kenny Omega and his feud with uh, with uh, Osprey. I know that the story, the the kayfabe alignments of their characters didn't line up entirely with you know Kenny being a heel in Japan and a face in America, but you have to go into all that. You could just literally show a couple still photos of the match that occurred. Let them come out with the title, that sort of thing. Just promote it. You are partners after all. <laughs> right. Um, when things like, or even if it's not on TV, at least on social media, they don't really do a good job promoting any of this stuff on Twitter at all. And then when their guys are in tournaments, you know, maybe that's a little bit of l- less of a big deal. But even still, like when Archer and Utah Wheeler and others were in tournaments, they, you wouldn't know anything about it on AEW whatsoever. And I feel like that's, I don't think it needs to be like a, a hallmark of their show that they should be spending a lot of time, but even just a mention at the very least from Excalibur would be one thing, but you know, two to three seconds of a couple still images just to show what they've been doing. You know, WCW used to do that in, in the nineties and like, it was really cool, you know, to mm-hmm. be like, the Steiners were in the Tokyo. They used to lie. They'd be like, the Steiners wrestled in front of 70,000 people in the Tokyo Dome and won the IWGP titles. And then, you know, they'd show the photos of, you know, Scott doing a, a Frankensteiner off the top rope to like Hase, just a couple photos. And then you'd cut to them walking out and they got the gold. And you're like, oh shit! Like they they went to Japan and won some titles. Yeah, this seventy thousand people, <laughs> seventy in the dome in the Tokyo Dome. Like that's crazy. I don't know what a Tokyo Dome is, but that sounds big. <laughs> and then what that does is that, that kind of promotes Japan, but it really promotes your stars. They're out there. They're making moves. They're doing big things. They I don't know why they don't do that. You know, it's really weird. But New Japan more than holds up there into the bar- bargain. Like Kevin Kelly is always mentioning what's going on with AEW on the air, during the intermissions, they show graphics, they promote it on their social media all the time. Like they do a lot to promote AEW. Plus they've got all of their um, programming on New Japan World for domestic New Japan World users. Like there's a lot of crossover on their side of things. Right. Not so much on the AEW side. That does kind of suck. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a lot to be done there. There's more they can do with the partnership. Like you said, I don't think it's worth, you know, throwing a big hissy fit or trying to, you know, end the partnership. But I definitely do think there are things on the AWN that they can do, especially, you know, you're, you're doing this big Forbidden Door show coming up in Canada this summer. Like, you know... You want your your audience to know who these New Japan guys are, where they can watch them, and how to get hyped up for these big dream matches they're going to do. I just think if your partner's partner, you know, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I don't want to. We don't have to get into it, but like, I'm I'm pretty down on AEW right now, anyways. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, not. I don't think this is like the highlight of you know, their run right now anyways, regardless. So yeah, hopefully things turn around. Yeah. Uh, next question here from the lazy binger it says, assuming Osprey doesn't extend his contract with NJPW, what would be the main event of the next wrestle kingdom? Do they still do Okada Osprey as presumably a lot of casual fans might still expect Osprey to win? Or do you go back to Okada Naito 
are there any other viable match options for headlining Tokyo Dome? I'm confused. He said, assuming Osprey doesn't extend his contract, what should be the next main event? Do they still do Okada Osprey? Right. So it seems, you know, a lot of people kind of penciled out that the, the eventual Osprey Okada match could potentially be coming up next Wrestle Kingdom. Right, but but assuming he doesn't extend his contract, why would they even do that match? I don't know if his contract ends kind of like Jay in February. And Jay got a big main event before he left, so you could do Osprey Okada. Yeah, but uh, uh, the whole thing with Osprey and Okada is that Osprey's never beaten him, and if his contract's coming up, why would you do it again and then have him lose again? I don't know. That doesn't make doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um. Plus, and I mean, I'm holding on to this, not because it, this is not out of my personal feelings. This is the story that they presented during the press conference at the end of Wrestle Kingdom. It's, it's out there in the actual kayfabe of the company. Osprey does not intend to stay with this company if he can't beat Kenny Omega, not Kazushika Okada. I know a lot of people want to get to the Okada feud and want to get back to that. That's on the back burner. That's totally out of the question. If they even do that match without him beating Kenny Omega, they've fucked up their kayfabe entirely. They better not do that. He has to fight Omega first. And he has to beat him in Japan, probably. Right. It definitely seems like they're going to do a series. So he's probably obviously winning this tournament, and he's going to face Kenny at Forbidden Door 2. Um, and then they'll probably end up doing the, the third match at Wrestle Kingdom. In Japan. So I would say regardless of whether Osprey signs an extension or not, he needs to be facing Kenny Omega at the dome again. Right. Because that's the story they're telling. And um, you know, I think we're getting Okada Naito regardless, probably. Yeah, we laid it out a couple of weeks ago. Based on just how everything is right now, it does seem like Okada without being champion. Going into G1 without a title, strong likelihood that he could win again. And there's a strong likelihood that Naito is going to beat Sonata at Dominion for the title. Yeah, let me ask you this, Jeremy, okay? Let's assume, because I think it's a a, a fair assumption, Osprey and Omega are locked up, right? Mm -hmm. If we think Naito is going to go all the way to Wrestle Kingdom as champion, which he might not, but if he does... Who could he face other than Okada? Are there any compelling challengers out there for him at all? Uh, I mean, the one guy comes to my mind is Shingo Takagi. That's the only thing I can think of, too, and that's like an interfactional thing. Yeah, I mean, that their G1 match was great. Um, you know, Shingo's had some dome uh, main event experience as world champion. I think they could draw. I think people are interested in that kind of cross Action just the interesting relationship between Naito and Chingo. I think that could draw its main event, but besides that, I'm like, I don't know who else you, you throw in there with Naito. The only other options at that point would be to either go with an outside pick, like someone from AEW or something like that, or or like someone from like I don't know, Noah or something, or you heat somebody up in the G1, like an ELP or a David Finley or a Tamatonga or somebody like that. And it would have to be like, we're going full bore with this person. Like we're going all the way, 
build him up as like the next fucking mega superstar sort of situation. But I think the tea leaves pretty much read like we're getting Okada Naito. Yeah. I mean, Zack Sabre Jr. is another guy. I think that if they heated him up in the G1, especially after all his uh, great matches he's had this year, the TV title, I feel like he's a guy that could really be heated up to, to main event a dome. I think they could do that, but for whatever reason, they've never had the confidence to go that, that far with him. Yeah. Unless they, unless they want to pull a trigger on one of the young guys, like they want, they throw, you know, Umino back in there. Um, yeah. If, if Suji comes back or so, you know, some other young guy they want to try and. That's a good call. That's that. Yeah. But that would also kind of be somewhat similar to what I described with heating up one of the uh, older, older stars. You're just doing it with a younger guy out the gate. Right. And yeah, again, that's not a uh, any sign that that young guy would draw. So I don't know if you in a time where they're trying to cut on expenses and build back up revenue. I think you want to go with something, you know, for sure is going to draw. I think, um, you know, and then, of course, there's always the old hat Tanahashi, but he's just so broken down, doesn't feel feasible. I think those are your four big names for next year's Wrestle Kingdom. I think you're getting Naito and uh, Okada as the domestic main event. You're getting Osprey Omega as the you know, um, Western main event. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't see anything else right now unless they do some stuff, some different stuff, unless Sonata keeps the bell or, or, you know, they do some other things like heat somebody else up. It definitely seems like, yeah, Okada Naito is going to be the direction. Or if they bring over, you know, CM Punk. Look in my eyes. What do you see? <laughs> Oh. Yo, he was at Raw tonight. And yeah, he got kicked out. <laughs> yeah, Vince was like, "Get out of, get out of here, player." <laughs> I don't know what happened. I hope we find out. It's super interesting. Yeah, apparently he was there. Yeah, security. He had got Vince told whoever to like, get him out of there. So <laughs> oh, I've seen people say it was Vince. I've seen people say it was Trips. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, last question here from Hawaiian Punch BB. Thoughts on Javante Davis's performance against Ryan Garcia? I don't know if I said this on the show, but I've said it all week to multiple close friends of mine. Um, the best person we could reach out to, to verify this rich Latta, who I actually watched the fight with what's up, rich. I called it. I said, Javante Davis inside seven rounds. And guess what round he stopped Brian Garcia round, round seven. And, um, did you see that fight, Jeremy? I did not know. Okay. So, um, you know, just the quick rundown. I mean, the first round was essentially, uh, probably a Ryan Garcia round I scored it for, but it was really just a feeling out round. And that's not that surprising considering the type of fighter that Gervonta Davis is. He really likes to get a, a, you know, he usually likes to do like feeling out round, kind of get a read on the guy, figure out what traps he wants to set, what their tendencies are, that sort of thing, get a spatial awareness, blah, blah, blah. Um, But in the second round, you know, Garcia started landing. He started using some roughhouse tactics on the inside. And it was funny because I was sitting there with Rich and I'm watching Gervonta and I'm studying him and I'm like looking, I'm like, he's going to land a counter. But like Rich is just freaking out because he's like, <laughs> Garcia, Garcia boy. Like, he's freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this other dude at another table got pissed. And he, he like, I, I wasn't paying full attention, but he looks at Rich and like, you want to put some money on it? <laughs> Yeah, it started getting heated, bro. Anytime, oh. anytime a Mexican and a black fighter fight, you know, it gets it gets crazy. I, <laughs> I've seen two real life brawls 
when I've been at Winghouse watching fights, and both times it was it was a Hispanic fighter against an African American fighter, and I saw real life brawls break out in the building twice in my lifetime. Once was Zab Judah against Miguel Cotto. The other time was Margarito against uh, Shane Mosley. And then, no, three. I've seen three. When um, when Floyd Mayweather fought Victor Ortiz and, and Victor Ortiz headbutted him, I saw a fight break <laughs> at, at Winghouse there too. So. <laughs> a lot of heat. Yeah, bro. Um, but uh, <laughs> in, in the middle of the second round, towards the tail end, like, Javante uh, Davis caught Ryan Garcia with a major flush counter left hand. Boom, right on the money, dropped the kid. He was seeing stars. The whole entire place freaked out. <laughs> I I was there with uh, Rich and MP, and I was like, I told you, and I told you. <laughs> <laughs> and then the rest of the fight was pretty much what I expected. Uh, you know, Ryan was tasted his power. Ryan was scared, and was trying to collect himself and didn't know how to engage and uh, kind of was outclassed. Um, but at the same time, like Gervonta Davis did not overextend himself, didn't um, try to create opportunities that weren't there. He just stayed very measured and kind of just picked him apart from the outside and got in and out. And then, uh, you know, the fifth and sixth round Garcia did start to throw some pretty, um, unorthodox kind of like looping punches, some overhand chopping punches. And I thought they were pretty effective. And I felt like once he started stringing some combos together, that was kind of the key, what he needed to do. But that was exactly the openings that Gervonta was looking for. And he used one of those exchanges to get on the inside and then boom, hit him right with the liver shot. And um, I didn't even see the shot to be honest with you. But I saw the way that uh, Ryan Garcia reacted and I was like, Oh my God, he just got knocked out. And nobody else, like, bro, no one else, because because he stepped back, stepped back, stepped back, and then went down to a knee. And I've seen that a million times in fighting, and I know what that means. I was like, oh, my God, he lost. <laughs> and, bro, the people around me, because it was a lot of, like, Ryan Garcia fans in, in the building. Um, nobody thought I was right. And then he just stayed down. And everyone's like, Boo! <laughs> Boo this man. They were so mad. And people thought he took a dive. And people were like, you know, saying a decision was made. He didn't want to keep going. And they were like saying he had no heart. But, bro, I got to tell you, I've watched a lot of fighting. A lot of fighting. Not just in that boxing, but also in MMA. And if you get hit effectively in the liver just the right way, that's exact. The way he responded is exactly what happens. Your legs go from, I'm actually surprised he stayed on his feet as long as he did because he tried to continue to fight and he just lost, he, he lost bodily function. He just fell down on the ground and he couldn't stand up. And you know, anybody that thinks that that is not what would happen if to them, let a professional fighter hit you in the liver and see what the fuck happens. (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of people underestimate, yeah, how devastating body shots are. I think I, I do hear that same complaints in like UFC when people watch those fights and they, a body shot ends the fight. I'm like, dude, can you imagine like the force of somebody like either like kicking you in the liver in midsection or like, an uppercut? I, I mean, any body shot can really hurt you effectively and even stop you. But like the the two most effective places are like right in the center of your solar plexus and the liver shot. Like those are the two places if they're uh, placed perfectly and they're hit you know, with enough force and, and, um, all that, like 
you can stop a fight and I've seen it happen a million times. And when it's, when it's a solar plexus punch, they react very differently than a liver shot. When it's a liver shot, it's like a delayed reaction and then they go down and then they're like clenching and they just can't breathe and they can't stand up. Mm -hmm. And, um, people, a lot of the fans that were there are like cat, you know, because this is a big fight that drew a lot of casuals and, and most people just were not expecting that. And, um, I was expecting it though. I figured for most of the fight that Gervonta was just going to set set up traps, counter punch him, and catch him, and that's exactly what he did. He was never really in trouble. He was never really hurt. Uh, he made Ryan Garcia look like he didn't belong in the ring with him. Ryan Garcia is undoubtedly a very talented guy. He has a lot of great physical gifts, and he's got a he's got a lot of heart, but. He didn't belong in there with Gervonta Davis. Not at this stage. Gervonta Davis has fought so he's fought world champions in three weight classes at this point. And like, this is only the second world titleist that this kid has ever fought in his whole career. Like he's really been, you know, not, they, they've done a great job building a brand for him. They have not done a great job building him up to be a world-class fighter. And they fooled a lot of people, but not me. <laughs> ahead <laughs> yeah so um yeah it was really cool i mean I, i'll tell you this and uh last thing on the fighting is like last year same building i watched tyson fury fight uh deontay wilder which it, to me was a much bigger fight <laughs> and the building was basic i mean not, i want to say empty but it was like less than half full uh, there was not that many people that were there to watch the fight uh this one standing room only like, and I wasn't expecting that uh, at all. I didn't, I thought this would be a big fight, but I didn't think that this many people were going to be this hyped for Gervonta Davis and uh, Ryan Garcia. But yeah, Tank won. And um, yeah, looking forward to see what happens next in that division because you got like Lomachenko, you got Devin Haney, Shakur Stevenson. There's a lot of great uh, Tiafimo, Lopez, and, uh, you know, a couple other guys, uh, Camboso. So yeah, very interesting time in the lightweight division. Nice. Well, let's conclude here with a recommended match of the week. So uh, last week for the excursion match, I recommended the world title match from Impact Wrestling Rebellion 2023 pay-per-view with Kushida taking on Steve Macklin. You know what, Jeremy? I talked a lot. Not a smack about this Steve Macklin fellow. And uh, I'm not going to turn around. Well, okay, let me just say this before I get to the match. Uh, there's a problem here, okay? Uh, did you did you watch Impact Rebellion? No, not yet. Okay. What do you think was the main event of that show? Oh, it was the uh, the women's title match, right, with Deanna Prazo uh, mm-hmm. against whoever she faced. I forgot who she faced. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> You know, there's there's a reason why impacts the little brother to to New Japan's big brother. This is some shit that New Japan would never pull. You know, <laughs> God, Kushida Kushida's fighting for the world title and he's still in the junior title spot. Unbelievable, <laughs> in America. But um, you know, here's one thing I will say. I uh, I don't know Steve Macklin that well. Once I saw his face, I was like, okay, I've seen this guy wrestle before. Wasn't really ever that impressed with him in uh, NXT, WWE, 
but it feels like based on what I'm reading and what I'm seeing in the presentation, they've done a lot of investment with him in impact for, you know, a while now. And it seems to have been paying off. He was getting good reactions. And uh, this is really a, a, a style clash between him and Kushida where like, he's kind of the bigger power wrestler sort of thing. And you got Kushida who's like this smaller speedster technician. Um, and I thought that they meshed really well with each other. Uh, the crowd was into it. Um, and I do, I don't want to take anything away from Steve Macklin. I thought it was pretty good. I thought Kushida really did a great job though. Kind of, I don't want to say carrying him, but leading him to a great match. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, Steve Macklin was using a lot of power moves. The early parts of the match were based almost strictly on uh, the technical aspects of wrestling where he would show, he would acquit himself pretty well, but then Kushida was always one step ahead and was able to work on the arm and really put in a lot of great work in the early parts. Uh, Middle portion of the match kind of saw Steve Macklin get a lot more control and start dominating him with a lot of power moves and offense. Um, and there were definitely some downtimes in the match, but every time they were engaging, it was pretty compelling. And I thought it was a highly enjoyable match. Um, I think they could have worked on the pacing a little bit, but for the most part, it was pretty compelling. And then, um, you know, going down the stretch, um, Kushida just kept trying to go for the hoverboard lock and he kept getting close to it. But every time he tried, um, Steve Macklin basically was able to find a way out of it or stop him and, um, eventually like Macklin was able to find a way uh, to always get out of the hoverboard lock. And he was able to, um, you know, basically catch Kushia with his finisher and picked up the one, two, three. I think he calls it the K I a DDT. It's like elevated DDT is his finish mm. and picked up the compelling one, two, three win. Kushida's a guy who's been putting over big guys his whole career. So <laughs> <laughs> this is uh this was no, um, this wasn't any sort of like new territory for him. And um, yeah, the match was a lot better. I thought it was going to be, I probably would, I'd go like four and a quarter on it. Oh, nice. If you didn't see it, I do recommend I thought you'd watched it. You haven't seen it yet. No, but I, 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 think, I, heard, I heard it got good reviews. That's why I recommended it. I'd watch it. I'd watch it again. I think it was pretty good. Um, and they got a good amount of time. This match went just on. I mean, it was only 18 minutes, so it was, it didn't overstay. It's welcome. Nice. Then for the recommended match, you recommended uh, Sonata versus Hiroshi Tanahashi from the 2016 G1. Um, this was a, a very enjoyable matchup as well. Um, like you mentioned last week, this is kind of uh, one of Sonata's kind of first breakout moments uh, when he you know joined New Japan and became part of LIJ. Um, so really good, um, allowed great technical wrestling towards the beginning of the matchup. Um, then at one point, Sonata started working over the arm of Tanahashi um, to try and prevent um, you know Tanahashi grabbing a hold of him for uh, sling blades or dragon screws. Um, but then eventually, uh, Tanahashi was able to to get some dragon screws in and started working on the the legs of Sonata, which would uh, slow Sonata down from some of his uh, faster pace athletic offense. He was still able though to do a uh, that springboard drop kick that he does. Um, so really good stuff uh, throughout the match there, and it was all building up to um, the skull end. So there was one point where he got the skull end on Tanahashi, um, but Tanahashi got to the ropes, and then, you know the crowd was really into it and thought that potentially Tanahashi was going to tap out there. Uh, but Tanahashi uh, fought through that, and 
um, that led to a spot where uh, Tanahashi he came back. He was hitting sling blades, sling blades, and going for the high fly flow. Uh, but Tanahashi was able to move, and this kind of was the kind of the beginning of the end for uh, Tanahashi. Um, Tanahashi he hit the the Muda Moon Salt. He got a great near fall. I thought that was going to be it when he, he did that because you know when you watch now, Moon Moon Salt is kind of it's more of a finisher than Skull End sometimes. So yeah. he, he hit that first Moon Salt. Two count crowd pop big. He went back up. He hit it a second time, and then he picked Tanahashi up, locked back in the skull end, and Tanahashi tapped out. Um, so really enjoyable matchup, and kind of uh, like you mentioned last week, kind of cool seeing this matchup compared to where he's at now. Nice. Um, what would you go uh, ratings wise on that one, and would you recommend you know people check that one out? Yeah, I definitely would recommend people checking it out. I'm probably like four and a quarter on it. Yeah, that sounds about right. Well, um, you know, I don't want to dig too much into excursion stuff this week. How about, I know we talked a little bit about it, but how about next week you come give us a more comprehensive review of Sasha and Mayu Iwatani. All right. Mercedes. God. (laughs) We'll do that, and then uh, for recommended match of the week, we're going to go back to Wrestling Dontaku 2016 with Kushida defending the junior title against Jushin Thunder Liger. See, that's bullshit. I gave you something that was recent. You already watched it. It was going to be easy. You should have recommended to me, like, Hiromu versus, like, I don't know, Kanemaru from... (laughs) 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 <laughs> well that's what that's what I all right well that's gonna be it for the show oh <laughs> uh, well, that's going to uh wrap things up for oh us. yeah we didn't even talk about bullet club this week do you want to do a rundown on the bullet club this week you got the, the flow chart ready of who's in you know bullet club <laughs> gold who's in house of torture I, i'm sorry i've been i shouldn't have brought it up <laughs> Oh, man. Well, that's going to be it for this week. Next week, we'll be back to discuss uh, more of the road to Wrestling Dontaku and Wrestling Satsuma no Kuni and cover all latest news. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are facebook.com slash social suplex at social suplex on Instagram. On Reddit, on the Pro Black Guy, just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at social suplex.com. Also, check out our Discord server, Social Suplex Podcast Network. And check out all the other shows that we have here on the network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Sumowitz. The AEW Match Guide podcast, hosted by Sir Sam Brown. And the Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style. The ace of podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.